the only Robert Drysdale. Those of you not familiar with Robert, he is an ADCC World Submission Grappling World Champion. If you don't know what that is, that's that's pretty much one of the highest honors you can win in grappling sports. Um, Robert is a, you're a three-stripe jiu-jitsu black belt, right, Robert? Four. Four-stripe jiu-jitsu black belt. That's a lot of stripes under Leo Vieira, who is a legend. Robert's a legend. And uh, I'm a guy who was just lucky enough to get my black belt from Robert Drysdale in 2010. That's interesting, Robert. You, you're in the process right now of counting how many black belts you've you Yeah, wearing. well, training a lot. You know, I think I'm past 60, maybe 70 black belts now. So I feel that if I don't create a log now, I feel, I fear that in the future will be too difficult. Um, yeah, because it's um, you know we promote like you know maybe five, six, ten people a year at mm -hmm. least. So it's going up pretty quickly, and uh, yeah, I just don't keep track of it. So, yeah. so first of all, I have to apologize to Robert on the record. We were supposed to shoot some podcasts, and uh, I have been running around ragged, but it's always a pleasure to get with him. Today we're going to talk a lot about, uh, we're going to talk a lot about jujitsu. We talked about personal growth in that a lot last time, but we will talk a lot about jujitsu because there's so much and jujitsu is exploding now. Every kid out there, most of the kids out there would be benefiting to sign up for jujitsu at a, you know, under a good instructor. Um, I want to ask you this. So you got yours under Leo and I remember I had a conversation with Leo, Leo Vieira and I said, Leo, at what age? I think he at the time his kid was seven or eight. I said, at what age did you start jujitsu? And I think he maybe started. He started young. I think he started with like yeah, eight, eight yeah, or so. something like that. And so his kid, he believed he was of the belief, you don't take a four-year-old or a five-year-old kid and throw them in jujitsu. You wait until they're about eight, nine, somewhere in there, maybe seven. They're just playing or having fun. But he was not hard on his kid. Like he was not the dad that was like, get in there. You're six years old. You need to be doing it every day and and he was not uh he was not he, he was not doing that right so he, he was of the mind like eh, if they want to do it and they yeah, want to dabble yeah. and they want to play i i'm of the opinion that first of all at that age i think that the, the the primary concern the primary purpose of bringing your child to the gym is getting them to fall in love with working out and making a place like a gym uh, a second home that's my extended family right? mm -hmm. and then if they fall in love with that you don't have to drive them to the gym when they're young adults or teenagers. They're gonna to want to go on their own. They're gonna ride their bikes. In fact, you won't be able to stop them because they're gonna be addicted to that environment. That's what they feel. That's what it's their happy place. Like it is for a lot of us that as as adults we choose to be there. Right? It's an option. No one's forcing us to go to jujitsu. As a child, I think that forcing your child to go to jujitsu is probably the worst thing you could do. My kids are very. I have two daughters. I, they're very different. I've got them both in jujitsu. Probably around four or five. And the older one is really into it. The younger one, I think she does it because her sister does, her friends are doing it, but you know, you never know. Like I, you know, you think eight year old, you got your child figured out when they're six, seven, eight, like no, you don't. Like you, they're, when a teenager is gonna change everything. I will say this though, Frank, the most successful athletes I've ever met in Jiu Jitsu, they didn't start when they were very young. That's the minority. The overwhelming majority started when they're teenagers. I think that's the... And you're, you're attributing that probably to burnout. <sighs> Maybe oh, maybe them, burn, being, them being forced, burn, and I think that there's uh, there's the overparenting aspect, and I think a lot of parents are living their lives vicariously through their children. Like I wasn't a UFC champion, but you, little John, and you will carry on that torch, and you will be because parents see them as their children as an extension of themselves. That's how the children are; they're a genetic extension of ourselves. And when we don't do well, we don't live our dreams. When we 
maybe there's a deep seated frustration there and you expect your child to maybe carry that on and like you will be a champion because I wasn't type thing. And you know, you might be dragging your, your, your kid to a sport that he actually may not be fit for. So pushing him too hard is not a good idea. With that being said, I used to tell parents never to push kids. Now I say a little push is important because kids will literally play on their phone all day if you right. them. Right. So a little push is necessary. Um, but I, 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 at my kids program at the gym, I make it fun. It's fun. Like it's not, I'm not trying to create. That is the question. How hard should these kids be pushed? I mean, there are those kids. There are those rare kids. We've yeah. seen them. You've had them. You've coached them. Yeah. There are those rare kids that they want to do tons of push-ups. They want to do the pull-ups. They want, you know, they're little adults, right? They're just maniacs. Yeah. You can, um, if the child is asking for it, you can push them a little bit harder. But I, for the most part, you don't want to burn them. You don't want to, you want to make it fun. They have to want to come back. It's, you, can, you can push them as hard as they want to be pushed, but they have to want to come back the next day. Because if they leave the mats and they don't feel like coming back, that's a really bad sign. Like they have to leave like, whoa, I can't wait to do this again. And once again, that goes back to my strategy, getting them to fall in love with the gym because then you don't have a student for five years. You have them training their whole lives. And if they are going to be the champion that their parents want them to be, guess what? You need them in the gym their whole lives. It's not a five-year operation. You know, this is a 20-year project in the making. And, you know, it, it, it's, it, it comes down to the child. Really. Like parents, like they want to mold their children to be this or that. And it just doesn't work. It's against our nature. I've seen in a number of gyms, you may have done it as well, where there are signs, please refrain from coaching your kid. What's yeah. interesting about this sport, about wrestling and even jujitsu, is you get the parents, they bring the kids to class, and then in practice, not a game, in practice, teammates are going against teammates, and the one parent is sitting there yelling, come on, Joey, and yeah. the other parent sitting right next to him, yeah. and then it's like, it's this team environment, yeah. and, it, and it happens. So I've seen in... In, in a number of gyms where they have to please refrain, which, how do you handle that? Because it can be awkward. This is not a game, right? It's not a tournament where yeah. all the parents are cheering for Team Drysdale. Yeah. This is Team Drysdale, and one parent's cheering for their kid, yeah. and other parent's cheering for and, their, and their it can kid. Get, and, the kid it, and the kid can feel like crap. It creates because, a very poisonous environment. Yeah. Um, every now and then, a new parent may not know or may forget, and it's very hard to stop yourself. And I know this because... I always, I never liked parents coaching. I always made it was an effort to get them not to coach at all. But as a parent, when I'm watching my, my, my daughter's grapple, it's very difficult to keep my mouth shut, especially because I am a coach. So you compound the fact I'm a parent on the fact that I am a coach and I'm used to telling people what to do on the mats. But the rule is if you're not on the mats, shut up. If you're on the mats, you can coach. So that rule applies to me too. Sometimes I'm sitting on the edge of the mats and I have to bite my tongue not to give my children instructions. So I understand how a parent may feel about their kids. Um, but that know. is a rule that you try to, you've had to well, make yeah, I, I have to lead by example, right? If I don't follow the rule, then right. I can't expect anyone else to. I'm the gym owner. So I, the, the rule applies to everyone. Before you had that rule, what, what, what was the feeling? What's the problem? What's the problem if you don't have a rule like that and this parent can coach and da, 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 and this parent saying, come on, go. Well, it's, it's the kid high, feels it's like, maybe the kid feels like crap too because. Bitterness, kid feels a lot of pressure. Parents don't realize like that sometimes the pressure they're putting on their kids. And I think, you know, every kid is different. Like, when the problem with these conversations about parenting and education is that we're not clones. You know, the recipe that works for one child does not necessarily work for the other. I take my daughters as an example. They're very, very different, Frank. They're very different people. You know, so the rules that, yeah, they have the house rules, but I don't plan on having the exact same kind of parenting form one is with the other because I realize they're different. So you have to be this social parenting acrobat that is able to adapt to new situations and deal with all of them differently if you want to be a good parent. 
you know, because if you just cookie cutter recipe that people want to, that's why people are writing books on parenting and all that. And I'm like, I don't know. I'm no expert, Frank. Maybe I'm wrong. But to me, it's, it's very much like being a coach. You just, you have to adapt on the spot because we're not all the same. Now, the problem with the large, but like, oh, yeah, yes, you have 30 kids, right? Something realistic. Or about, I have hundreds of students, literally hundreds. I have to have somewhat of a system, of a formula, of a curriculum that applies to everyone. I can't treat every case individually, mm -hmm. right? And that, so I found like a happy middle, a democratic jujitsu, so to speak. Like, and I think, I feel like I found that because I managed to run a very successful program. I, I think I do. But there are always the margins that you can't please because there are always individuals that think that you should cater for them differently. And, you know, it's, they're in their rights. You know, maybe I want, I want A, B, and C. You give me X, Y, and Z. And that, no, that, that's that. But it's very difficult to, you know, it's very difficult to find a system for anything, for that matter, mm -hmm. that applies to everyone because we are so different. With um, one thing that I noticed about you is that a lot of the jujitsu, I mean, you go to a lot of the tournaments, you're at world championships, you have your athletes who do a lot of tournaments. So you've been to a lot of tournaments, you competed in a lot of them. And you've seen what's the latest, greatest move, the latest, greatest trend, yeah. the barambolo, the footlocks, yeah. the this, the that. Um, but you are also someone who is a very creative thinker and you can figure out a lot of moves. You're the kind of person that can see something and without spending three hours a day watching YouTube videos, you can figure it out. A lot of people can't do that. They really do rely on YouTube, YouTube instructionals, etc. And so... Talk about that. I mean, how you learned. You came of age in a generation where there wasn't all of this jujitsu wasn't at your fingers. No, was, you could not. Right. You had to figure a lot of it out yourself you or through yeah. your sensei or in your walls, whatever you're exactly. you, Damian, Maya, Leo. Because, because there was an exercise and an effort that was made because nothing was given to you. Everything was a struggle. So you had to, for you to learn a new move, you didn't have a replay. You had to watch the tournament. You had to remember what the guy did and try to mimic it at the gym. Right, and you, but there was a there was a, a there was this intellectual exercise that came with it mm -hmm. that I think that a lot of the young generations are missing out on because it's all digested, you know, and it's it's been made more accessible, which has made progress a lot faster. But at the same time, I feel like in a lot of ways they're not learning how to think. Right, they're never taught how to think. It's all like this is what you do, right? There's no think. There's no creative process involved right. because they're completely skipping that part. Yeah. With that being said, there's another thing about uh, about like this this knowledge conversation. I was just having this conversation with. Another friend of mine the other day, I to me knowledge if, if, when pertains to jujitsu means two different things. There's what you learn in class, or maybe you teach in class, and just you recall from your memory the sweep and all that. And then there's a real knowledge that that you actually execute on the mats when you're rolling. They're very different things. We use the same right. word, but there's that instinctual kind of rolling kind of technique and knowledge that is real. And then there's the other one that's just memorization essentially. And a person might be able to express it really well, which deems him a great instructor, when in fact doesn't have any real knowledge, he's got, he just got the memory, right? So I say this because I've seen some of the best athletes I've ever seen in my life. They couldn't explain it, but they could do it, right? And then I see other guys that were not great at doing it, but they couldn't explain it well. Normally, the good coaches are the ones that can do both. Mm -hmm. If I had to choose, like the one that I could execute, it's always the most, the most knowledgeable one, even though he may not have the tools to express it. Because that is the real jiu-jitsu master right there. And a lot of people miss that, Frank. They think that the guy who expresses it so well is the real jiu-jitsu master. And by that definition, Tony Robbins would be a great jiu-jitsu master. Because if you got a guy like Tony Robbins, and you had him watch YouTube videos for an hour, and he memorized the move with the Lahiva sweep or whatever, 
and you had him teach a jiu-jitsu seminar, first of all, 3,000 people would show up to his jiu-jitsu seminar. And then you'd have him show a De La Hiva sweep. You would have purple belt in jiu-jitsu saying he's the best instructor on the planet. You would literally have that happen because he expressed himself so well. Now my question to you is, does that make Tony Robbins a jiu-jitsu master? The f you see how much of the problem? Just because you can memorize something, verbalize it well, does not make you a master. Um, with that being said, of course, the people who actually have that deeper, under the skin knowledge may not be great coaches because they have a hard time communicating that to their mm -hmm. students. But there's another thing to be said here, and I'm a big believer in this. Your, your instructor, like much like YouTube or anyone else who's teaching you something, they're just giving you ideas. They're not teaching you anything. Because the real knowledge, the real learning is gonna happen when you're losing on the mat and you're failing. Learning comes from failing, from getting beat, from trying new things. It comes from that under the skin knowledge I'm talking about, and that comes with mat time. Your instructor's job is to give, actually the instructor, I just wrote an article about this. I sent it to you for you to take a check, take a look at it. But the instructor's role is really like a, there's a completely separate role that the coach has that people don't really realize. But the teaching part is, you're not really teaching in the sense that you're actually, that, that you're uploading that information to your student's brain. You're just giving them ideas. That's all you're doing. You know, because I've, I've been taught, oh, so many times I've taught a move, Frank, and half the class gets it right away, the other half doesn't get it. Like, how do you explain that? Oh, they're not paying attention. No, it's not just they're not paying attention. Some people just, they're just not, the information is not being downloaded. You know, they're gonna, they're gonna learn in a different way. People learn differently. Yeah. Like some people learn from observing, some people learn from experience. Well, you don't know the conversation that's happening in their head. The first, that first blush, they can look at it and say, oh, that move's not gonna work for me because yeah, there's something blank, going blank, on in their head. And um, you, you know, there's a, there, yeah, there's a conversation. All these mental and so, blocks. And, and yeah, and so those, that conversation well, can, you, can yeah. have them tune it out or, or not, if not fully embrace it. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you, and I think it's it ultimately for for bettering your jiu-jitsu, there's, there's no way out of this, but there's no recipe other than lots of mat time and other, for you to be a champion, other psychological and perhaps physical traits that are crucial for you to be a champion. And some people, and it's a sad thing about sports that we don't want to talk about, but perhaps some people just don't have. Some people are born winners, and some people, despite their talent and their efforts, there's something missing there. They're just scanned. They're unable to, to pull the trigger that last second. There is some element of self boycott or whatever the case is. But I, I'm a strong believer that the mat is your, your best teacher. Like there's no faster route to improving your jujitsu. It's a freeway. That's what it. That's what I call it. That's the freeway to get better jujitsu is losing on the mats. You know, winning is traffic. Think about that. Winning is traffic. Losing is a freeway. You know. So when we when we chase winning. You know, of course you're trying to win tournaments, but when you're trying to, by, by winning, I mean like maybe you don't want to lose. I mean like you're trying to win. You're not, you don't, try not to lose. You don't compete enough. Or you don't, Who you is avoid your, the best training you, partners. You've learned, yeah. you've learned from many parts. You, you're a person, you're a thinker, you've figured out quite a few things. And it, this is what's interesting about knowledge in jujitsu is, let's say you were to figure, you know, you and I were to sit here and we were to be, we were to have a problem. Okay, here's the problem. When this guy goes to this X guard, whatever, here's the problem. And then we troubleshoot and then we solve the problem, right? We think we solve the problem. Whatever we do, that's been done before, right? That was done 100 years ago. That was done probably 200 years ago. So we're not going to sit here and say, smart guys, we're not going to sit here and say we invented it. But we're not going to say that we, we, didn't, we didn't look to YouTube for the solution either, right? We may have figured out amongst ourselves yeah. like you did in the old days. Yeah. But so there's a lot of that kind of, of troubleshooting. What I have a problem with is when 
people do that troubleshooting and they figure something out and then they name it and they pretend that they suddenly have ownership or invention yeah, of it. It's worth that, 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 that's what annoys me so much in this, in this profession where people, smart people, but because they're popularizing the move, they confuse that with inventing the move, right? Or, 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 There's a lot or they of name that. it so well that captures the imagination and and they name it so well that now it's like, whoa! Did you see the move? This it's like, well, so like that so and so was doing it better twenty years ago. In fact, right there's, and it's it's sad that the, the public is very fickle. The masses are very yeah. fickle with who they you know. You have guys like Gabe Moraes, who's a three time black belt world champion, who's phenomenal. Yeah. And you know, I don't know I, who I, is. I, 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 can, I, can, I can almost bet I don't think Gabe Moraes makes six figures, and I don't think anybody no, can pick him close. out of a lineup. Not even close. I don't think anybody yeah. can pick him out of a lineup. No, and he's. Awesome, right? And, and he's way better than it, some people it, out there that are making this. seven figures. We're, we're, this is like tied into a whole new problem is that we're living in the marketing, the age of marketing, and it's, it's, out, it's, it's, it's become more important than actually being skilled in some ways. You know? And you know, what you're describing, Frank, is like, well, people lack critical thinking. And I don't think they lack critical thinking per se. I think that they're, they're, we are overwhelmed with information and we can't weed out the good from the bad. It's like, just like, I don't care about who's the real deal in basketball. Couldn't care less. So if you told me that the best basketball player right now is you so, can't so, be an so, expert, you can only I don't be an expert. Care. You like, can only I have expertise you. or knowledge if, if you, of, yeah, of a certain exactly. finite this, amount of stuff. Exactly. There's so much information out there. There's so much available. So when you go to dabble, you're going to have to you're going to have to rely on conventional saying, wisdom. This is the greatest yeah. thing ever, and you oh I don't know much about basketball. Okay, I guess that's the greatest conventional thing wisdom. Whatever it else. got it must got twenty million views. It must be. It must be incredible because all these people. You know, it's kind of like follow the leader or follow the, the herd type thing. And I think we all do that to some extent. Like, I hate it when people do it in jiu-jitsu, but I probably do it in other realms because I just don't care about music, like, like DJs, for example. So if you told me that so-and-so is the best DJ on the planet, I'd believe you. I'm like, okay, it must be, Frank. This guy named Black Coffee. So I'm driving around Las Vegas, and I don't know if you've seen this, but I was driving around near the Strip, and there's these... You know, they have every every other billboard now as a DJ. Or a lawyer. Vegas, either, right? either or. Yeah. There's all these DJs that I don't know. I don't, yeah. you know, whatever. And so that if you're a DJ, you have a billboard. Well, here's the, thing. the funny thing is he might be a horrible DJ, but the fact that he's on the billboard. The guy's a Black Coffee he, oh, was the name. Oh, I thought it was a joke. His name was Black Coffee. I don't know if you heard of already, him. Already, already, he's a superstar. But the simple fact that he's on a billboard because we associate, yes. you know, uh, popularity with success, which, yeah. of course, begs the question, what is, is, what is it that Kim Kardashian is good at, you know, but. Few people really know, answer that. Well, that's question. why a lot of a lot of sporting events in the beginning, sports leagues, best thing you can do in the beginning is hold an event, and give away the tickets, and just have asses, yeah. butts, and seats. Yeah, this, yeah. This really and like you give away three thousand tickets, nobody needs to know, but it looks good on the on video, yeah. and it looks good if you maybe put it in front of investors, well, etc. And it's it's like the reason why nightclubs hold the hold the line. Clubs that empty out inside, right? There's no one in there. There's a huge line outside. They won't let people in. <laughs> you know, and I think that says all. It speaks volumes about human psychology. I'll give you another one. You ever go to the airport and you walk in line, like by the security, and you look. There's an empty line, like the, at the very end of the of the hall, maybe, and there's like three people in line, maybe, and then the one that's closest to you, where everyone else is going, has got like thirty people, and no one actually stops to think that if they walk for five, ten seconds to the left. They'll actually be waiting for only like thirty seconds versus waiting for. It's you know, scarier three because maybe the assumption is sometimes you assume those three people could be wrong. These thirty people are not wrong. Yes, this line is going to exactly keep moving. Going on. Those three might but, be dumbasses, but, and I might be the fourth, and I might 
lose my place exactly. in line. Yeah. So when there's a lot of people there, it's like clearly oh, they must clearly be right. The masses, they, we, this we've pre-judgment, all, right? We've all figured yeah, it's this pre, out. Pre-acceptance. So this it's, risky, it's riskier to go in the line ahead of three because three could be just wandering and not have a clue. Or a special line for special people. Yeah. This explains why Gabriel Moraes is not popular, as you you know, as you're saying. Like, why is he not more popular? This explains it. And then. You know, who's the best jujitsu person you know of? I mean, I just named a really good one that you know of. Who's not a big deal? Who's not? Who should be a household name? Who's not? I mean, from an older generation, Omar Sutton was one. He had like three world titles at the black belt level. Three world titles. That's significant. Like most people don't know who he is. I think Bruno Malfasini might be. Doesn't get his due. He doesn't because he's he, a Dimitri Johnson of the, the IBJJF. Right. Even though he's got the titles and people in he the matches, love him. He's close to matching Bouchesha on world titles, but Bouchesha competes two divisions per year. Malfasini only competes one. So who's pound for pound? Like I think that he might be you know, pound for pound perhaps maybe the best ever because of the fact that he can only compete one division, but he's been dominated for, what, nine, ten years? To me, that's incredible. So guys like that, always the guys. You know him. You know Bruno. Just from saying hello, never actually had a conversation with him. But like these are the people that I want to admire the most because they actually do. That's that's what's hard, Frank. That's I mean, think about that. Like nine world titles with black belt. I have one. You know, I'm very proud of. I lost two finals and two semifinals, but man, that that was hard. Like this guy did nine years in a row. Think about that. It's incredible. It's absolutely. Who are your favorite? Grapplers out there right now um, that you really love. I like your favorite. I don't. I don't like technically. Sport. I don't like the Mial brothers and the Mendy brothers. I, I, I like. I admire Mendes brothers. Really, I like no Mendes brothers. They're more diverse, but like I, I can't. I don't. I don't like the whole. I can only pull guard thing. Like to yeah. me, jujitsu is much bigger than that. Right. With that being said, I admire their work ethic. Their work ethic to me is very commendable. And almost, almost a product of envy. And I'll share this story with you. I shared, I think, the last ACB, maybe. I can't remember what it was. But I shared it with someone where Paulo Miao wasn't competing at the IBJJF World Championship, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but his brother was, and his brother ended up losing. So Paulo, who's just cornering, he goes up the stands, all the way up, right? From the bottom, all the way up. And he's bawling. Like, he puts his hands on his, on his face like this, and he's just bawling, right? You can see he's... It, it, it almost looks like a family member just died. That, that's how hard he's crying. At first, it was kind of like, almost like funny slash cute. And then after a while, it was kind of sad, you know? And then after that, it was like, to me, it was not just beyond admiration. It was almost envy. Because as much as I care for jujitsu, I don't think, it's, he's not even caring for himself. You see what's going on here? It's for his brother. And he gets to the very top and he drops to his knees. And he's, continu- he's on his knees. This is in front of like hundreds of people. And he's crying. And, you know, stranger to walk by with father, maybe his mom just died or someone, his daughter just died or something like that. That's how hard he's crying because his brother just lost the final or semi-final of the world championship. And to me, that's like a whole new level of caring. And I really admire that. Um, that's what's interesting. What's interesting but, about the whole, we're, we're going to go and, back. And I care. No, <laughs> I, no, no I know you. We're, we're going to go back. We're going to go back. We're, we'll revisit that question in a second. But while you have it at the top of my mind, what's interesting is you do see people, again, it's usually people who haven't been in a real fight they they're not in the fight sports they're not in the combat sports and they make these memes on online cry babies you know when cormier cried after john jones knocked him out it's ridiculous it's it's absurd it is absolutely absurd like the whole the notion people who put their whole life into something and sacrifice so much uh are going to probably if they lose they're going to be devastated they're going to go somewhere 
if they don't cry, they're going to want to cry. If they care, right? The people that are really going out there on a ledge that are that really believe they're going to win, that put everything into it, you're going to have a real emotional shock when you don't see it done. Otherwise, you did because if some Robert, if nobody, if someone has no emotional reaction after a loss, I mean, if they're not feeling it, it could be fatal. Yeah. But there's something going. Then they really, to me, didn't believe. They didn't yeah. believe they were really going to. Or win. it wasn't important. And how can you actually achieve something that's not important to you? Like there are things that, for example. I'm sure that in school there are probably subjects that you cared more about than others, and you always probably did better than the ones you actually cared about because there's an emotional attachment, there's an effort involved with whatever you do in life, whether it's work, relationship. Like if you have a relationship and just don't care about it, it probably eventually it's kind of like a plant. You don't water it enough, it's going to die. You know, and your jujitsu career is very much the same thing. If you're not constantly watering that plant, and that is that means an emotional effort and, and, and attachment to the dream or to the objective or to improving on yourself. And I, when I, and I've seen this time, the people that would lose, they would complain with the ref, they complain about the weather, they complain about the coach, the rules, the training partners, the slippery mats. And they're angry at all of that, and that they're angry for like five, 10 minutes, and then they're outside eating outside laughing. And I don't judge Frank. Like, I think this means, diff- it's, it's, it's different for everyone. Like, whatever it means to you, it means to you, and I respect that. But those are the people that never do well. And, I, and I've seen there's a pattern there, man. Like, I know we talked about this the last podcast about the ego. And I'm, I'm big on that. To me, is it's about how much, what, is, what does it mean to you on a deeper level? Not superficially. I'm looking to get a black belt. I want a new medal. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. That's a very superficial outer layer of will. It's like the first layer of the will, you know. But when there's something deeper in there, like way in there, man, like that very, very, the, the deepest layer of what it symbolizes to you personally, then there, there's no way there's no emotional well, I'm not surprised when I see an adult cry because yeah. of it. it when, I, when I interviewed, this is many years ago, before I even worked at UFC, uh, I was doing a, a UFC story for a magazine and I interviewed Monty Cox who coached, you know, I mean, sorry, he was the, the, the manager of Matt Hughes and Tim Silva. Yeah, and Pat Pat the yeah, he was one of the pre, I mean, Monty Cox at the time was like the man. He had the biggest roster of, of fighters. And I said, uh, I mean, I think he had like 40 sub guys or something at you know, some point that had, were in the UFC or had been in the UFC, right? He was like feeding, he was like Joe Silva's right hand. And so I, I said, Monty, um, what's the one thing, remember I asked this question to Emmanuel Stewart, he said it was a big ego. I said, hey, what's the one thing all the great fighters, all the champions you work with had? He said it was a big ego. I said, Monty, what's the one thing you see in all the champions you work with? He said, they all got a screw loose. And so he said they all got and so it's it's that little tick, it's that little psychological tick that you're talking about, which is to say it ain't gonna make sense to the regular person going by why Paulo Meow has that reaction. It's not gonna make any sense to a rational person who has never put everything into something, it's gonna make zero sense. You you what do you think every great mind in history has had in common? A screw loose. You think Isaac Newton was like the, the, the life of the party? You think Adam Smith was the life of the party? Tesla, yeah. You I think these guys yeah. were just like, you know, the, 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 the cool kids in high school? You think, you think well, Bill you Gates was the cool problem. kid in high school? You yeah. think these, 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 these great people, they all had a screw loose to the world, but that's exactly what made them great. Yeah, that's the tick you need. And that, that was, was the, that was the ingredient. If, if you read, even this last week, I was reading about Tesla. And Tesla, I think, I think in the last four months, Tesla's lost 700 and some million. Now, Tesla's doing great things, they're supposed to go to Mars, wherever, they're gonna do these great things. Elon Musk's a genius. Um, and they lost 700 and some million, so 
Elon Musk does some stuff on Twitter, criticizes some dudes, and then everyone goes, Waggle, wagons are circling. Elon Musk, is is he right in the head? Is he fit for whatever it is? And I'm thinking, Clearly not. this is... This is how the people yeah. that go were yeah. very few did. This is how it is. It yeah. is you're not going to have this it's straight not, lace It's not the cool plan. kid in high school yeah. that everyone wants to hang out with, that, that, that can got, hang out with those amazing things in life. Yeah. It's, I'm, it I'm, defend, I'm actually defending Elon Musk saying yeah. it, it, it's, it should not surprise us. The moment that we want cookie-cutter people in positions of you where they're creating things, where they're the moment that we want that cookie cutter, we're gonna lose. We're gonna yeah. lose something. Like we yeah. have to have the people that have. No, I, I, they're I, off. They're yeah. off in some way. But it's like Dan Gable, who's off. Like that doesn't make any sense. But yeah. But that's how you get 15 that, straight but, national titles. That's but, how you coach 15 straight national titles. But that is titles. that is the ingredient. Like the, the 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 loose screw is the ingredient. Like I'm convinced. Like that's one of why I see people with the screw loose. Like no, no people don't want to talk to those people. Those to me turn out to be the most interesting yeah. ones because they normally have something to teach or they, there's something about them that makes them. Uh, Interesting on a, on a on a deeper level. Yeah. I have a, cu- a couple of kids that I that I coach, and and over the years I've seen you know work with different kids, and they have and and what's interesting is to see kids cry. What makes the kid cry? Some kids cry just because they're kind of a crybaby. Some of them cry because they're not used to pain. They don't know is that supposed yeah. to feel like that. They have no reference of what's pain or good pain or bad pain, and some of them, you know, just have that competitive. And you can tell some of those kids are going to, and I've seen that in some kids. They weren't the most talented, they weren't whatever, but I see the kids that cry at the right time because they want to get it right because they have, and I'm always like, and the parents are thinking, stop oh crying. man, yeah. Yeah, stop crying. And they're yeah. thinking, and I'm actually sitting there thinking, that's wow. a good thing. Yeah, I know. This kid, I exactly if this way. kid yeah. keeps showing up, yeah. no, this is actually gold. Yeah. Again, you don't want them doing it every day because the kid, the good kids are trying to hold it in. They're not trying to make a scene. They don't they're want more the worried Because they're more yeah. worried about the social environment that they are about with yeah. how they feel inside and how they're going to change that in the future. With a kid that's crying, he's like, screw you, world. This hurts inside. I'm going to do something about this. So, and that is uh, the little engine everyone talks about for success is not paying attention to what other people are saying or thinking about you. Is actually, how do I feel about this? And what am I gonna do to change it? Yeah. You know, and the little, the kid who's crying, yeah, like that's the, that's, I think those are the people who will go on to be successful. Whatever it is that they fall in love with, so long as they find it, some people never do. Say, some, maybe there, there, are, there are Mozarts out there that never, that never find a musical instrument to play with. You know, there are Michael Jordans in the world who never, never get to hold a basketball. But when those people find whatever it is that they are made to do, they're meant to do, then, you know, that's, that's when you get a genius, man. That's when you get talent. Get, getting back to the screw loose. So I hear, a lot of, I hear a lot of the psychologists talking about, you know, the, the new thing is positive reinforcement. The Bob Knights and the Dan Gables, there's no place for them in sport, right? There's just zero place. You have to be, you have to coddle now. You have to be positive or, or reinforcement, et cetera, right? But the interesting thing is that when I study, when I study the Gables, the John Smiths, even the Kale Sandersons, some of the elite players in tennis, the Tom Brady's, the Robert Drysdale's, even myself, I was never great, but I've put the effort in to be great. A few twists and turns there, who knows? But in any event, what I've seen in most of the high performers that I've seen in, in keeping with that screw loose is the fear of losing, the hurt of losing yeah. is the greater motivator than the love of winning. Yeah. The hurt and the humiliation yeah. of yeah. losing 
is what makes you is what that is and, and that is coming from a negative place so this is the thing people place. demonize negativity but no. negativity can be a fuel it's a, it's a channel it is and so one of the things that they're teaching the kids now I actually think it's a disservice I'm not saying being negative 100% of the time there has to be a balance there's a point at which you're a cancer to the team if you're negative 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 but there but but I have seen Kale Sanderson has said look Kale Sanderson unbeaten in college it was like I'm paraphrasing him but it's like what what what's going on what's driving you I'd say losing Tom Brady yeah. getting slighted well, on draft day, crying is like they're, they're, like the, these people have no respect for me. Like they're different, they're, different philosophies of life, I guess. I think we talked a little bit about this, and you know, I don't think there's an easy solution, but I think negativity definitely is a channel, it is a vehicle. Um, I think that the, the joy of winning, and I, I really mean this when I say this, is much smaller than the pain of losing. Like you know, Absolutely. winning at ECC, I'm telling you, Frank, I couldn't sleep for two nights. I was up. I was up for two nights. I literally, I didn't sleep for like over 48 hours. I was so excited, I couldn't believe it. I felt like Jesus. This is what God's feel like. I want to feel like this for the rest of my life. I felt invincible. I felt that if I had to go back there and fight that same tournament that next day, I'd do it all over again, no problem. This time it would be easier because now I know I can do it. You know, but it lasted till two, three days, and after that, it was just like, okay, what's next? You know, and is that is that miserable, con, you know, human condition of never really feeling satisfied? I actually, I strongly believe that the truth of success is feeling profoundly unhappy with yourself. You have to be unhappy with where you are in life at a deeper level. Because that's that's, that, that's why we've yeah. seen so many. Even you talk about when you were in Brazil, we see so many poor people that are happier than rich people because. They, they are. I They're mean, why, why, why would you need a billion dollars? You don't need to go make a billion dollars. If you're already sitting there and you don't have much and you're already happy, what is a billion dollars? Yeah. I mean, it's not going to give you the bang for your buck. No. It's not. No. When, you, <laughs> when, when, when your life is messed up and you, you keep thinking, if I add this, if I do this, if I can add this world title, if I can do this, when you're screwed up, you're, there's a lot of incentive to, to get back, to get on the wheel, get on the yeah. treadmill and just be like, oh, look, I got to. No, I, I it's envy. a great dangling carrot. I mean, you know, when your life, if, if we were all just complacent with, and some people are, that's why some people with not a lot are actually happier. And it's okay. I mean, but, but the, the, and Robert, they, you were talking about this earlier. They might be smarter than us, though, in the sense that <laughs> the people who have a lot less are like, hey, bro, I'm a hundred times happier. I got a hundred times less, yeah, and I'm a hundred times you happier than you. You don't hear a story. Like Frank Mir just told me this. So that's like, that's pretty genius. That's did, actually did, genius. genius. They I got they them. got what we want, and we're thinking we got to go and find <laughs> Kilimanjaro to get it. I'll, I'll give I'll give it. They're a story. smarter than us. Fr Frank Mir Frank Mir told me this story uh, two three days ago, and he goes like this: So fisherman, right? He's out in Cancun fishing. And wealthy businessman walks up. He's like, "Oh man, we just fishing here, just chilling. Yeah, how much? How much do you fish a day?" And he goes, "About an hour a day. You know, some just fish for myself, and you know, I sell some, and you know, make a little money on the side. But you only fish for one hour a day." And he's like, "Yeah. Well, why don't you fish for eight? And the fisherman goes, "Well, why would I do that? Well, if you fish for eight hours, you can get more fish. You can go to the market. You can sell the fish for a bigger profit." And he goes, "Well, why would I do that?" Well, if you made more money, you could buy a fishing boat and then you can go fish in the ocean and catch even more fish. And he goes, well, why would I do that? And he goes, well, if you got made more money from the fishing boat, you can buy 10 fishing boats and you can have like lots of fish and you can export it to China and so on. And then why would I do that? Well, because then you can retire and, you know, sit by the beach and fish all day. <laughs> you know? So it's kind of like you go full circle and, you know, what is the problem? Is there a real point to this? And it comes back to this, what does it mean to you? And, and this is why I tell people not to focus on the objective. I hate it when people, you know my biggest peeve is? Every, 
everyone to be a successful person that has a conversation, they go like this, what is your 10-year plan? What is your, and that sounds, and if, when you say, I don't have one, they act like you're a loser. They're like, no, you don't want to got it wrong. I'm not thinking end goal. I'm not thinking retirement. I'm not thinking metal. I'm thinking the grind to get there, man. That's right now. That's not 10 years from now. What are you thinking 10 years from now? Where are you? Thinking about the product, thinking about the reward. It's, you've got it all backwards. Like, what am I doing now to improve on myself? I don't know 10 years from now. You don't know. And anyone who says they know is delusional. You don't, no one knows what's going on 10 years from now. So I, I hate this whole, you know, where do you see yourself 10 years from? I think that's bullshit. So I, you're so immersed in the present that you... Of course. No that's where I live. Think, think I, I, I might be dead tomorrow. Like, I'm, what am I doing right now to improve on myself? Yeah. I'm thinking goals because... Have you ever had oh, a, can, I, can I just... Yeah. I want to finish this thought because yeah. the, the, the assumption is that once I get to my goal, mm -hmm. right, 10 years down the road, that equates happiness or success. And we know that that's not true. It is the, the grind to achieve success that is the real reward. And that's where happiness lies versus actually achieving the medal or that belt or that billion dollars or whatever that you're striving for because we know perfectly well, and they got research to back this up, that has mm -hmm. never made anyone happy. The, this is interesting. I mean, we're, gonna, we're, gonna, we're going all over the board, which I actually like. Um, have you ever had a, any brush with mortality? You mentioned, because I have that philosophy now. I've had what? things, so I, I, let, me, let me finish this thought and then I'm gonna pose the question to you. I've had that where I mean, I say this to my brother all the time. My brother's just turned 45. I'm like, bro, you're like so lucky to be alive. Like, you should have been dead 10 or 11 times. I should have been dead a couple of times. I feel so, so fortunate now to still be alive. Just things that in my life were just, and, and so, but that has actually made the, the present a lot more urgent to me. Like, I appreciate the present and everything. I appreciate training. I got to train today for the first time, you know, in a week. And it means so much more to me now to be on the mat, like to and not get hurt. And like, yeah. it's so much better now because I don't know how many, how many more yeah. do I have, or one twist of the knee, or whatever. I don't know. And it's the same way with life. Have you had any um, any brushes with mortality? Anything? Because you have it at the front of your mind. You are living in the present. Have you had? You know? Do you think about? Um, what makes you think about like that? Have you, you had know, a brush, uh, you had well, a brush I, with death? Have you, I had, don't, have you seen a lot of people die young? I don't, I'm not, you know, I, I've never been dead, so I don't know about the afterlife. Yeah. But I think it's unlikely that there's anything after we die. We and disagree on like that. that. No, it's, yeah, but, it's, it's a personal opinion, yeah. but I, I feel that that to me is encouraging because it makes me invincible in a sense where like I got to do it now. This is how I'm going to live my life, and it makes me kind of like be more courageous in the sense where, well, I got to live my dreams now. Like it's not gonna because I my my what I fear is that some people are going to go, oh, if I don't do it now, it's okay because there's going to be another life later. I can always do it later, and it makes me the fact that you know I'm, I'm living in the moment makes me think, well, then this is the time. This is it. Like there's nothing. Okay, now got to make it happen. Let's. What is what what, what are my dreams? What is it that makes me happy? What, are, what is it that I'm in love with? And it makes me pursue that with a whole new level of passion because I don't, you don't know the future. So, uh, yeah, my word about death, like, not really. Like, I, I would prefer if there's something yeah. where you thought, is there something that made you think it could be over tomorrow? Uh, I don't think about it, to be honest, but I'm ready for it. Like, I'm not, I really don't, it doesn't bother me. Do you expect that to live a long life? Or if you had, if you just no. had to go, the assumption of <laughs> well, your... if I, I would hate to be in pain. That's the only thing I would hate, you know, and I, I'm in favor of euthanasia. And if it comes down to it, I would like to be, to have the choice to be, okay, I'm out, I'm in too much pain. 
You know, I don't think the state or your family, for that matter, has the right to tell you that you have to stay when you no longer want to stay. Right. I strongly believe that. But I don't. I don't. It doesn't. I don't think about it much. I'll, I'll tell you. The only I think I might have said this the last podcast. I can't remember. But like the only thing that terrifies me is getting old and not being able to do the things that I love. Like being in pain and watching my body deteriorate rapidly after retirement yeah. and being feeling pain and like I can't I can barely grip with my hands in Jiu Jitsu. Yeah. And that to me is far more painful than the idea of being dead one day. Yeah. It's interesting because when I used to uh, to train two a days and we were all there and getting after it, a great room full of, of, of uh, training partners and you know, I think I was one of the older, maybe the maybe the oldest guy regularly on that mat for two a days, and I used to just think sometimes I can't wait till these guys get older and then they see yeah. like their their respect for what I do is going to go up. Yeah. When they no, when it's true. When, and it's when you're twenty, you don't know because I, I remember hearing this from 30. these guys. These guys come up to me. Yeah. They come up to me even some of the twenty-some-year-old brown belts and black belts. Hey, you want to train? Hey, you want to train? And I'm like, and you know, they're forty pounds, fifty pounds. And I'm like, no, I don't. And it's like, oh, he must be whatever. And I'm thinking, yeah. bro, you know. I've already done what you've done. I have nothing to prove you. I've already done what you've done. Well, come talk to life. me when you're you, 40. You don't, you don't come think, talk to me uh, when you're 40. You ain't going to want to roll you, with, with you me. You don't think I'm a target every seminar I go to and every class I teach. And I don't, I don't have ego in the sense where, you know, like just the other day, like one of my students, just the other day, like yesterday, the day before yesterday, one of my students passed my guard. And I'm thinking to myself, boy, this like 15 years ago would have never happened. I would have been losing my shit if, I, if this actually happened in practice. Whereas now I'm still unhappy about it, so I'm talking about it. Mm-hmm. I don't like it, but I'm not ashamed of it, you know, because I have the courage to do what a lot of people in my shoes wouldn't. I could easily hide behind those four stripes in my world titles and never step on the mats a day of my life again, and I continue to have a successful business. And no one, in fact, people actually might like me more if I just hid behind what I do, because that's how people are. You give yeah. them a little, you give them a little bit of a little, a little bit of honesty, and they go, "What, Robert? What Robert got his guard passed? They like you less." And it's funny how that works because yeah. what I'm doing is, inc- I feel is incredibly courageous. So I know how you feel, Frank. Yeah. It takes a lot of courage to step on the mats against someone that's got, you know, 15, 20 years younger. Well, what, I'm, what, what I'm saying is, a lot, of, a lot of these guys though, they're making the assumption. Like I'm thinking, in my oh, head, I know. in my thinking, I'm thinking, bro, you should be. I've been at, at this for 32 years. Yeah. You do this for 32 years, then come see me. Yes, yeah. I'm going to pick my roles yeah. now because yeah. I put in the other, the yeah. previous 30. I think it's my. I've I got, already put my time. I got in. such a massive ego. Like I wanted, okay, you want you want some, motherfucker? Like bring it on, and like yes. I still do. I still, I still have some. I go, yeah. I go to war with my students still. Like and like I prove my point. I'm like I'm showing you that I still can, even though that right. I don't. It's not the ambition of. But jujitsu jujitsu is there. very unfair to coaches in that way, in the sense that people. If you're in a football, right? Bill Belichick cannot make the tackles, can't make the interceptions. He did play college football. He played Division three college football. But my point is. In jiu-jitsu and the fight sports, they expect you to be able to kick their ass still. The moment you don't, it's kind of like a lot of them are like, oh, man, I'm not sure. Oh, no, because that they, they think they're smarter than you because yeah. if, if they can beat you, right? Yeah. Or, or that somebody else in the room but is smarter th- There's than you. a failure to understand. But no that. other sport has that burden. Like, there's, there's a mythology in sports, I feel, that you know, if you reach a certain level of you know, success in any sport, that that level is stays where and you stay where you're at for the rest of your life mm-hmm. and the reality of sports is if you're not getting better you're getting worse 
And I think a lot of people miss that. Like, if you're getting older, you're not as active as you used to be. Right. You leave, you lose your coordination. Not to mention your athletic ability, which goes regardless of you being on the mat or not. You're going to lose athletic ability. Right. Yeah. There's no way out of that. It's just the nature of. That's why it drives me nuts when people say like, "Oh, age is just a number." Yeah, yeah, that's pretty. That's awesome. It's also that's awesome. It sounds pretty. You know, it's very motivational. But we all, you know, it's not true. You know, we know we factually know that aging does impact your performance. In the story. But, but it is amazing. Our sport, the fact that you can kick, if when you can kick every student's ass, everybody in the room, people will just believe what you say a lot more, right? The moment yeah. that there's one or two or three or four people yeah. in the room who you might have a hard time with and you can't kick their ass, it's unfortunate in this sport. It's like, boom. Because there's a very, there's a very, jiu-jitsu is very hierarchical like that. And this is why I understand why a lot of coaches hide behind their belt. They hide behind their titles. A lot of they people don't. Do that. They don't want to risk that they that esteem, know, them being they, held in that esteem. They know that. They yes. know that. Yes. Right. And it's and you know, and what's funny thing is that people admire them more when they're like that. That to me, which is so strange, because you ought to admire courage. They right? de yeah, they deify like yeah. They like, deify cowardice versus and I I don't mean this as an as an insult to uh, other people who do that, uh, but it's true. That's what they're doing. They're they because they know that. There are a lot of black belts out there. If they step on the mats after at five years of inactivity, they're gonna get beat up by blue belts. And because they know that, they isn't just that an, step on the an mats. interesting dilemma? The dilemma in, in, in this in this kind of person's mind would be: on the one hand, if if I start getting beat by lower belts or other people, it may diminish my credibility or yeah. the esteem. But on the other hand, if they do go, it should actually increase people because. It should increase people's respect because, like, look, look at the courage of that person who's forty or forty-five and is putting it on the line still. Frank, it goes back to why Gabriel Morais is not known. You see the critical thinking. For you, for people to do what you just described, requires about thirty seconds of thinking. Any person, with average, average person, right, put some thought into this. Is going to figure. He's going to say exact same thing you just said. He's going to figure it out. But the truth of the matter is, we live in a day and age where people are not going to give anything 30 seconds of thought. We don't have 30 seconds. We're entertained all the time. Something's going on. Our phones, you know, video games, life, business, family, whatever. 30 seconds to give to give, do Frank Carrera justice is unfair. It's not unfair. It's, it's too much work. You know what I'm saying? So people just go by, well, if he's losing, he, he can't be that good. So they, I think that a level of you know critical thinking, maturity, and time into thinking about these yeah. issues is necessary for yeah because people, people have to also look at the, lo the longevity and yeah. say even if twenty five year old athlete is beating forty five year old athlete, we understand. Wait, this person's been doing this thirty years. You go do or who are not yeah. whatever. You go do this thirty for thirty or even Henzo. Henzo just fought. I think Henzo's fifty one or fifty three, yeah. and uh, that's incredible. You know. Like this guy's been doing this for a long. You you know him by the way. What are your your, your thoughts on him? You and Hens. I think he just loves to fight. I think Hens was the kind of guy that if you were sitting here right now, and I said something that pissed him off, uh, he'd probably want to fight me right now. And that includes King Velasquez, Brock Lesnar. I think that applies to everyone. And I think Hens was the kind of guy he likes to fight so much he wouldn't mind getting his ass kicked. You know, if, even if that were because like he's that guy, like he yeah. just he's in love. He, with but he, like you said, he, yeah, the, the, there's 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 valuing something beyond just as you said the outcome. It's he's the he's valuing. Yes, yeah. yeah. it, it's there's, a, there's, there's the a, spirit a, of yeah. it. Yeah, I remember like we I interviewed his father, and you know him well because yeah. you've been over you've been well, over. I, 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 mean, I don't know him well well, but I've been with him in a number of different social situations. Yeah. But I interviewed his father uh, for the documentary, and Hobson, mm -hmm. he was very charismatic. He was hilarious. He's like the guy's a trip. 
The, da- the dad is, yeah. is also, you, so, so Henzo is very similar to the dad. You understand Henzo, what do you mean is that? The, fruit, you, the yes. fruit doesn't fall far from the tree. And, you know, he, and he said something, um, like he was talking about, during the interview, we asked him like some memories of life, you know, and he described when they were teenagers, if there were some guys he didn't like, you know, and then we start fighting for no reason. He's like, wow, well, we just didn't like him. He didn't have a good reason to fight, but they were teenagers, and they would, they would scrap black, and the fight would go on. And you can see he was remembering it, and he had a smile on his face. It was not like, oh, that was a horrible idea. Kids shouldn't do that. Just it very was, primal. Almost. Yes, it was like, and he like, yeah, he was like, we could see he was remembering, right? He was almost emotional about it. He says, ah, it was a beautiful thing. Like to him, to him fighting. Because you're just, living. It just, you're just living. You know, it's, 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 it's you're alive. You hit the nail on the head. It's exactly. You're alive. I'm feeling a lot of something it, right yes, now. He, I'm, he, I'm in touch with. Of, of being alive, and then he said like this. So I, because I, I was talking to a lot of these grandmasters in their 80s and 90s. So I was asking them for life advice. If you could go back and talk to yourself, you know, I'm 36, what would you be telling yourself when you're 36? And they all had very deep and philosophical and life advice that was very, was very, there's a lot of, there's wealth to it, you know, and I try to absorb a lot of it. But Hobson's answer was to me, was, I don't agree with it, but I, I think I, I, it, was, it was very endearing. And he goes like this, in life, you have to be inconsequent. That's what he said. That's his, that's his philosophy of life, like basically, you don't worry about the consequences. Reckless. Don't worry about yeah. Be reckless. You know, and this is a man who's in his late eighties, and he thinks like that. And, and he even said, like, it's a miracle on the line. Very, 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 very impulsive. Yeah, very impulsive. It's but like very, I feel like doing this right now, and I'll very, do it. But the, you see, there's there's a philosophy, there, and we can disagree with that philosophy. But there's something to be said, man. Like that guy had stories, Frank. I can't share some of those stories with you, but mm-hmm. he has stories that to me. Like we, it, it should, there should be movies. Like there should be Hollywood productions. Like we're talking, <laughs> man, the guy could talk. Like it was, he was something else to hang out with, man. I hang out with him maybe a whole day, maybe five, six hours, you know, lunch. Who else did you, did you, I'm, I'm gonna charge this up right now. Who else did you, did you interview in that, um, in that, um, in that interview? Well, uh, the documentary. Yeah, João Alberto Barreto was one of the main instructors of the Gracie Academy, the old Gracie Academy. Mm-hmm. Uh, Armando Bridges was from that same generation. Uh, who else? We talked to uh, Elio Fada, who is the, the grandson of, uh, a nephew of Osvaldo Fada. So a lot of people are not going to know who they are, but your, your thing is they should know who they are because this is, this is historical and it's rich and... What is this going to give to the average uh, jujitsu out there? Well, I think there's um, um, we are you know to quote Newton he we are standing on the shoulders of giants Frank and if they, if there is such thing as MMA and BJJ today it is because of some of these grandmasters mm-hmm. they they pay the you're, you're 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 putting you're putting a spotlight oh, on absolutely for, they, for they are, characters you know but the people in the know the people at the top of the pyramid know who these people are well. But, very few people know. I, I, to be honest with you, I didn't know most of them until I started getting involved in this production. And I say that I'm pretty well, what, what's your, What was your motivation? Why, why even, why put the trouble in? You got a busy life. Why, why were you, why, why did you feel the need to do this document? Were you approached or did you just decide? A um, number of reasons. I, I am very passionate about history. Uh, I knew very little about the history of Jiu-Jitsu and I had lots. Wasn't your dad a history professor? No, my dad... My dad should have been a linguist, learning yeah. languages, but and that's why you're English. Oh, he's an English. No, Chomsky. That's why you were in all that. Probably, maybe. Like he, my, my father, my father, is um, yeah, he's an English teacher, but he's he's obsessed with languages. Yes. So going back to history, though, you, my, 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 you're, you're my passion has always been, uh, you know, in the field of humanities mainly. 
social sciences a little bit, and I didn't know enough about the history of jiu-jitsu. When I started finding out more about it, I became, I realized that it was actually far more interesting than what we had been told. Like basically we've been told was an oral tradition, you know, mainly through Horian Gracie, and there was a lot missing. I think there are a lot of interesting characters that were left out. And I felt that these people, their story needed to be told, and they all played a role in the development of jiu-jitsu. Granted, I mean, and there's, there are people who actually disagree with this, but I think Carlos and Helio are central. Like some people think that, I was just having a conversation with, with a man who actually inspired the documentaries, a man called Roberto Pedrera. And he wrote a book on the history of jiu-jitsu, three book, three volume book called Shocky. It's on Amazon, you can buy it. And it was a great read. It was very inspirational because it made me, that's what inspired us to documentary. Because when I read that book, I'm like, this story needs to be told. And, you know, I, I think that Carlos and Helio are central. Like, I don't see how what we call BJJ would have developed without those two figures. Now, are, were they angels? Far from it. You know, like, were they, you know, were they vain individuals with an agenda of promoting themselves and a lot of oh, marketing? We talked about the tick, though. We talked about that psychological tick that's it's almost essential. There was, there was a craving. There was a need. There was an ambition there to stand out. That is very, very clear to me. Um, but like I wanted to tell the story of George Gracie, who arguably fought the first Valetudo in history. You know, George Gracie was the first hero of the family. He was left out because, and I'm quoting every single member of the family that we interviewed, he was a rebel. And by rebel, they meant he didn't want to follow the Gracie diet. He liked to drink beer, and he liked women, and he liked to party. And when we were describing George, he just sounded like a normal guy to me. That's what, the thing. The funny thing is, like when they describe Helio and Carlos, they sound like very unusual people. When they describe George. They describe like every single friend you have. He's just a normal guy that likes to party and drink on weekends, and you know, and that's and he just wouldn't follow the 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 the, the rules of the, the the Gracie family that Carlos set forth. And to me, it made him even more interesting because he, even though he was a tough guy, he fought a lot. He, you know, first he's one of the founding fathers of MMA. In fact, no one remembers the guy. He has lineages in Brazil, so I, I thought it'd be interesting to tell his story, you know, and why he was left out of the the Gracie. Of the accounts of the, the Gracie family, like why leave the guy out? He was super important. Um, more people. We had Akio Yano, who eventually became a judoka, but early on he was very instrumental in the, the spread of jujitsu. He was very good friends with George, actually. Uh, the Ono brothers, you know, Gio Omori, and we can go on. And there's a list of people that we feel, you know, our production feels that belong in the pantheon of the jujitsu gods, and no one has even heard of them. I had never heard of them until I started reading yeah. the books, and that's why I was like, oh wow, I didn't even know these people existed. Because I had only, I only knew what I had heard through when, Gracie and Action. When is the, do you have a name for the documentary? Well, Close Guard, The Origins of Jiu-Jitsu in Brazil. And how soon, when will that be released? We're shooting for the end of the year. It's very difficult because documentary productions are very complex and you can't do C before you're done with A and B in that order. So it's, I, I like to multitask. I'm the kind of guy that likes to do eight Isn't things at the same time. Isn't that interesting? Very few do. I had a conversation with a good buddy of mine, very smart guy. And uh, he said, that's what he said to me. He's like, Frank, you're like, you, he's like, you assume that most people like to multitask, most don't. He's like, they're part of a tiny percentage that actually enjoys that, the smorgasbord of life. And he's like, I like that. I like, uh, like having people like, well, what do you do? I hate I that. Bored. I hate the question, what do you do? I personally hate it. What do you do? Like, it's a nice, yeah. people are being nice, yeah. right? They ask yeah. me that question. I'm like, I, I find it so limiting on so many levels. I, I don't like it because my interests are all over the board. And, I, and I'm thinking, well, I got to give them a one or, they only want to hear one or two things. And if I mentioned three or four or five or six or seven or eight, which is really what I'll I. say something at the cost of sounding arrogant, yeah. but I'm going to say, because I'd rather be honest. And if that happens to be yeah. presumptuous, you know, 
we're gonna we're gonna it's happened to our inner Henzo Gracie and his dad that this is it. Yeah, just I say what is I, primal. I, you know, Go I, primal. You have your Instagram profile. Yeah, the shit I do does not fit on my profile. Exactly. My jobs do Believe not. It. I actually tried. I tried Believe editing it. and try to make it fit. And I have like it's three, horrible. four jobs that are not fitting in my profile. It sucks. I could easily put another, you know. But again, but that, three, that four frames jobs because when we have to answer that question, what do you do? I mean, but people are sizing you up, right? A lot of times if you're at a party, you're yeah, sizing up. Is this person that. worth five minutes of my time? Let me yeah. see what you do. I don't know you. And, and we have to give them that, that those three or four yeah. words that are just supposed to it's like, kind of like, this defines me, this is my, yeah. yeah. You have to make yourself super interesting in about 30 seconds. And if you fail to do that, you're done. Yeah, you could be Elon Musk. You could be, you know, Isaac Newton. You could be. It doesn't matter who you are, man. You could be the best, the most incredible human being on the planet, right? You fail to impress that person in thirty seconds, and you're done. Yeah, it's uh, it's, course, it's it's very unfair. Of course, when you when think you, about with it. your ears, though, people are going to foremost. That's going to assume. Before, no, I, I, yeah, like like seriously. Before like, you people say, approach me and they you, go, "Are you a you fighter?" You could say, "Well, you yeah. know, in ten years or whatever, you're working on your master's now, master's degree, and uh, you know, you could be what a history professor or something, or you could be doing history documentaries, but in ten years." You know, you'd be like, well, what do you do? I'm a filmmaker. And it could be, it could be non-combat related yeah. films, but people are always going to foremost see those ears and, you know, then it's going to, oh, yeah, he's No, that, that happens. Like people, exactly. But the, the funny thing is I get stereotyped a lot. Like people like putting you this, in these little categories in their heads and it makes them feel good. It makes it an easier way of looking at the world. I think we all do. I do it too, I'm sure. Yep. You know, we, it's, well, it's, like it's you said, easier. you can't know everything. You, you, exactly. This, you, this we, person we, just we came out of nowhere. We need so boxes. we have to have some exactly. profiling of... And it's funny, but you, it, you, yeah, I do get stereotyped a lot. Like, you'd be surprised. Do you ever wish your ears, you didn't have those ears? When they first popped... Do you I like having them like you're in an airport because like, people do look and people assume you're a fighter and the fighter thinking you can get some mileage out of it. So do you ever enjoy like, yeah, I do look like a fighter. I'm big. I have big ears. Even people who don't know me probably know not to mess with me. I, for the most part, yes, but there are situations where... Because the cauliflower is a deterrent. It's like, dude, do not, do not, uh, don't, don't, uh, don't stomp on me. Don't tread on me. Don't disrespect there's, there's that, but there, you know, there's another side too. You get a lot of... I know some people walk up to you and they assume they want to talk. You want to talk about the, the last UFC, and I'm like, just because I got cauliflower ears on, but does not mean I care about what so and so said about so and so. Like I don't give two shits about. It. Like why are we even talking about? It? But people want to take the you know, next thing they sit next to you at the airport and they start talking about what so and so should have done in their last fight, and you got to listen just to be nice. It's rough, man. Like, it'd be nice if it, it's not always a. Normally it helps. Like you know, sometimes they get recognized. Like, you know, you get recognized, you get upgraded to first class. It happens. You know, and you get a free meal every now and then. Oh, I know who you are. No, you don't pay him. Like, you get hooked up, you know, but it's, normally it's a good thing, but not always. How are you treated in Russia? Because you're doing some of those shows, right? That's Russia you're yeah. going to, right? I love Russian people, man. How are you great treated? people. They're great. Like, I, I mean, when, when I first time I went to, to Dagestan and Chechnya, people were like, oh, man, it's so dangerous. And I'm like, I felt safer there than I feel anywhere in the United States. They're very just, they're just conservative. It's kind of like being in Utah. Just conservative I love people. Utah. They're very, very family oriented, and yeah. they're you know you just got to walk in line and you understand that their rules are not the same as your rules, and mm -hmm. I think that's normal. You go to someone's house, you don't apply the rules that apply to your house to their I house. Agree. You're you're a guest. You got to remember that. Yep. And as long as you keep these like, oh, I'm American, I'm hardcore, I do it. This is how we do things. No, you're it's not in your country. Remember, remember that. that. And as long as you play by their rules, you're fine. That was I, my I, I actually, I actually really, I, I think they're great people. Yep. I really enjoy that. They're just very humble, very, 
there was no that was like they, they can be a little uh, um, they, you have to warm them first you know like first time I went to Poland they were a little like that a little standoffish but once you break through that first shell and you see that you, you, they, you open yourself up and Polish people the like to fight though they love fighting man very, I, I, I've, I've said this many times Polish people on average are the best grapplers in the world in my opinion I think they're better than Brazilians I'll tell you why Brazil has really good blue belts and have really shitty blue belts. I've never seen a shitty blue belt in Poland. They're all good. They're all above average, you know. Like on average, yeah, they don't have like many world champions and all that, but for the considering the size of the population, how many people are practicing Jiu Jitsu there and where they are. Yeah, how big is population over there? I wouldn't know, but it's not a huge country. Yeah. Like, I mean, a few million here. I, I wouldn't know for sure. Do they have, I mean, because again, they got Joanna J. They have produced. No, it's, I mean, but it's, 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 I mean, it's, it's, again, it's, it's kind of like, it goes, it's, it's kind of like the uh, historical thing where it, they're just yeah, tough, exactly. tough like people. Yeah, exactly. Like, you see all these. Amazing. I'm seeing a lot of these elite grapplers retire early. And there's a constellation of things. Because I've been around so long, and because I'm in the philosophy and the psychological thing, I actually think I know why that some of them are retiring early. Yeah. But one of the elements, and there can be, everyone's different, and there can be a, 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 a constellation of factors that make someone, but one of them is, heavy lies the crown, right? And when you get to a place, and I know you'll be honest about this, but when you get to a place where you have this title, this title, there's only one way to go, and that's down. We talk about the perception yeah. people have, and so it can really play tricks, whether you're GSP, you're Robert Drysdale, yeah, you yeah. can think, look, if I stay around, what am I doing to my brand? Even just our egos, like, man, if I leave now, I'm on top. If I leave now, if I stay, maybe I lose this one, this one, this one, and everyone's, aha, see, he's not, and, you, and, and people look at us a notch down. Talk about, I guess, that, have you ever felt those pressures, and what are you seeing, what do you see in some of the other elites, because you're, I, you're yeah. a Hall of Famer, and you see other Hall of Famers. I, I, see, I see two things going on here, like... I think that people, like for myself, I, I think they're not mutually exclusive, what I'm mm -hmm. gonna say. But on one end, yes, you're trying to, you can only go down. So why am I gonna expose myself to fighting someone 15 years younger, who's on fire, who's got nothing to lose by going against me, right? Like, I have everything to lose, nothing to gain. Well, these things do play a role, but there's also, for me personally, I'm looking at life as a book. I've read this page for 20 years. I've read, I've read the same page for 20 years of my life, Frank. I don't feel bad about turning to the next page and going, what else is what else, what else can I do, right? And on the other end, there are people who say, no, I'm okay with losing because I love fighting. And they continue to fight in their 40s and they lose that crown to the 20-year-old that's gonna smash him because there's nothing he can do about it. And he drags his legacy in the mud because he loves fighting. And there's something very, you know, very laudable about that. I look at that and I go, wow, man, you, you're a true champion because you're actually willing to let go of your ego completely out of love for the sport. But there's another element to this. They're addicted to, to money, fame, and they don't know how to do anything else. And they're not mutually exclusive. These two different paths I'm describing are not mutually exclusive. So you get these guys that are 40, 40 something years old, and they're still fighting, they're getting their butt kicked by some 22 year old. It's, yeah, they love fighting, but they also need the money. They don't know how to make money any other way. And they don't know how to do anything else. And they're addicted to the prestige of having their face in a poster, and they don't know how to live life without that. It's an addiction. And they're trying to go back to the old days, and they don't know what else to do. That's all they know. We're seeing athletes, and I, I can think of multiple already, in their 20s, Rob, world champions in jiu-jitsu who could go. So-and-so is retired. Or we even see him. Even, even, at 30, even 30, 30's well, old. We, we had, we had the 30, 30 is young. We, I can't, I'm not going to mention his name, but I think he retired at 23, 24. 
I'm not going to mention his name, but you know. No, I'm not going to mention. 23, 24, and he retired. To me, it's like what? I don't get that. Like no, I, I and, and it's not like oh I. It's no, not like tennis. Remember in tennis, you were 26, 27, you were getting to be old. Now they're changing that a little bit, or even gymnastics. You're gym, if you're a 22, 23 year old, you're old. You know, yeah. gymnast because of the size thing we were talking. Well, about. Well, not only that, but like there's there's damage. Like gymnastics is is very. There's an intensity to gymnastics in some sports. Wrestling is like that too. You don't see 40 year old wrestlers going toe to toe with a 20 year old. There's a reason why. And, and BJJ might be one of those few sports where there's a little more longevity to it. <coughs> because but, of the adaptability, BJJ has an adaptability in general that wrestling. That, you know, there's a lot more variables in jiu-jitsu. There's a lot more impact in wrestling. A lot more impact. No, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But 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 I also think that jujitsu, just because there's so many more variables and there's so much more adaptable, like I think you could be, you you, you know, in wrestling to be good, you you know, even with the scrambles now, you better be an athletic son of a bitch. In jujitsu, you can still find a way because there's just so many variables. You can still find a way to build build your game around your frame and and and, and have a style that gives people fits. You know, in wrestling, it's going to be harder. Like you've got to. At the end of the day, there's still a horsepower, firepower element to wrestling. Yeah, oh, know, absolutely. Like that, that, that you don't need. You can have sort of the concentric, isometric power in jiu-jitsu. You can have that. Damien has it. You have it. And you can lose that step or lose that explosion, but you can still be a, a problem for a lot of people. Where um, in wrestling, if you once you lose that step, you start losing that firepower. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, no it's, there's an explosiveness. There's a speed and timing and reflex element to wrestling. Yeah. That, you can get away with that, that without without those those abilities in jiu-jitsu for longer than. Plus you can your wrestle. hips, man. Like you were saying, though, with the impact, your hips wrestling. You wrestle, man. Your hips wrestling is one of the most pounds. brutal. Your sports. neck will take a yeah. pounding. Your hips gonna take a pounding. I'm not your surprised. shoulders gonna take. I'm a not pounding. surprised there are no like 30 year olds. You know, you know, I mean there might be some, but like for the most part, that's old in wrestling, right? 30. Well, I always tell people like if people are like. You know, somebody on uh, YouTube was asking, I mean, uh, Facebook was asking uh, the other day, it was like, you know, last week or two weeks ago, and he was like, oh, what body parts hurt the most? Whatever. I always say, if you're in these fight sports, your fingers going to take a pounding. Your shoulders, especially in wrestling, and your shoulders going to take a pounding. Your neck. I don't know anybody. I remember and one, one time we were, in, we were in training, and I was like, and I, you know, I have a titanium plate in my neck, and, and I was thinking, like, I mean, if you if you sign up for the jujitsu journey or the wrestling journey, you can just guarantee you're going to have neck problems or something. I don't, yeah. know, I don't know anybody who's 30 years old has been doing this for at least 10 years. It's anatomy matter. too. Like people with a longer, skinnier neck are more prone to injury, especially in wrestling. I think that a lot of the wrestlers have like the short, stocky kind of neck. It's like pretty much like their head is attached to their torso. Yeah, it's hard to choke those guys. Yeah, they're they're hard to natural built-in defense. It's it's a mechanical problem, you know. Like you've got a longer, skinnier neck, you're going to be more prone to injuries, and it's just the nature of the game. You know, like I think the anatomy plays a role in how well we deal with with injuries. I got pretty flexible joints, so I've only had two surgeries my whole life. For someone who's been trained as long as I have, that's really good. You know, I know people, I think Vitor Belfort had something like almost 20 surgeries, something like that. Like, Kavaka's up there, too, like over 10. You know, some people, it's just, you know, it's not, it goes back to something I always say, jiu is not very physically healthy. It's mentally healthy, which is great, mm-hmm. which is probably the most important kind of health, you know, you think of, but it's not, it's not great for the body. I, I, I dispute it when people tell me that jiu is good for your body. People got, listen, people got nonsense. mad at me when I did the first TEDx, and Robert, and I'm, I'm saying I'm calling right now. Drysdale will get his own TEDx here in the, in the near, relatively near future. I, I'm calling that. But when I did the first one about Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, 
people were so like people were hammering me on social media like dude you're you're a bad you're a bad and you're a bad uh, representative of jujitsu because you're telling us about how hard the journey was and how physical this and how many injuries you had like that's horrible where did you train how could that happen i'm thinking dude it's my this is my journey don't tell me i don't if your journey is, is, is doesn't feature a lot of impact and a lot of injuries good for you this was this is my i'm not i'm not going to not say I'm not complaining. I'm just saying what what goes with the territory. I mean, there were major surgeries, you know, broken hands. You know, is what it is. We know we call that. You're confusing science with ideology. You're confusing what is with what you wish was, or what yep. you know what ought to be. You wish jujitsu were injury free and were healthy. You wish that because yep. it's a pretty story. Yep. Reality. Put every different. kid in it. Nobody gets hurt. Yeah. Exactly. You know, and I, I, I tell new students like you're gonna hurt yourself. Your parents looking like I tell people I about ring. I tell people about ringworm. Every, I'm telling anybody, look, if you stick with this, you're gonna get a you're gonna, ha- you're going to absolutely guaranteed at some point, and people freak out. But listen, the thing is, when you've been doing this as long as I've been doing as long as you have, ringworm is like the really literally Nothing. the least of my worst. I mean, I mean yeah. at the worst, would be like I miss a couple days, which would suck. But when, once you've been here long enough, you're like, now yeah. it would be a disaster on a business level. But people, people are so like, they oh. worry about the all on things. Like the other day, I was cut on the mask, like a little tiny little cut, and everyone's like, oh my, you're bleeding. I'm like, I've been complaining about back pain for the last two years, and no one feels sorry for me. My back pain hurts a thousand times more than this little tiny cut. You can't even begin to compare the two. But there are some things that just we we, we have these. You know, these wrong ideas about sports and combat. Like, oh, blood is a horrible thing. Man, you tweak that knee, that's way worse. But you don't see it, so it doesn't. But I'm telling you, 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 you hurt your back, you hurt your neck, and that is way worse on your daily, your, your day-to-day yeah. than, you know, it's the tiny so cut or ringworm. It is gross, of course. You get rid of it. No. But, like, I, might, I think but the reality is everybody who's been doing this a long time, everybody's going to get it. And it's just part of signing up for it. What, I'm, what I'm saying is... If if anybody who tells me right now I, I want to do this and I'm going to commit for 15 years, I was like, are you okay, are you okay with some ringworm here and there? And if you're not okay with it, then you should do it. You probably should do something else. Are you okay with the possibility of some deformed and disfigured ears? Are you okay? Are you okay if maybe you break your nose? Are you okay with? Are you okay if your fingers are going to get popped and snapped and you know you're going to take that thumb and it's going to go back on that? Are you okay with that? And then you know, and and then on the other side. But but but, but that's not supposed to be the narrative. The narrative is not supposed to be the narrative. That's supposed to be the public narrative to the other people. People want the pretty. Because now we're scaring them away from the dojo. You you know what? But I also tell them. Do I tell them? It mentally is probably the healthiest thing you can do. I I I say BJJ over any drug, over therapy, over any psychiatrist. Over I've seen BJJ help with autism. I've seen it help with like social anxiety. I have seen it help with PTSD, with depression, with people that couldn't hold a conversation, like oh, social retards. They go into BJJ, it changes their life forever. They yeah. get confidence. That's they, know they have a girlfriend. Like their life changes. I always say, free. Hurt your body to heal your soul. Yeah. Hurt your body, okay. your and that and that's sort of a and it's sort of the universe intending that you don't get something for nothing. You're not gonna. You want the healing. But something has to happen for that healing to happen. There, look, there, there's a cost to all this. Like I, I, I make an analogy of my, my jujitsu is kind of like having a credit card. You're having a lot of fun spending that money, YOLO, whatever you know. Spend that money, spend that money, and then the bill comes later with interest. You're like, okay, oh, shit, like I wasn't expecting that big of a bill. And that's kind of how your jujitsu life is. You're having a lot of fun while you're healthy, and then the, the bill comes. So, it, I, I, I wouldn't change a thing. 
I, the only thing I would have been slightly different, I would have been a little bit better about eating right after training, because I was never good about that. I'll go like mm. two, three hours without eating after I was done training. Uh, I would have been better about maybe, maybe stretching more, but like I still don't do that. Like, I can't be that. It can't be that much regret if well, I still you don't do you, it. You, know? you should say you're talking to the organic tank, and I know you don't want to say because I remember, I remember one time, and I think you and I've had a, a number of these, but you know, I'm I'm Mr. Organic, and I remember one time I, I can't. Oh, I think I was at, we were at the uh, we were at the IBJDF World Championships, and I and you know they have like the vending places there, and you you were eating like a chili dog or something. Yeah. And uh, so I saw you eating that chili dog. It's got the bun, and it's got the yeah. chili, and it's got the. It's and I'm like, hey, can I? So I, I come up to you, and I'm like, I'm like, hey, Rob, dude, what, what? Are you really, are you really eating that? Are you really gonna eat that? And then you just looked at me, and you're like, uh, you know what's worse than eating this? Starving yourself and not feeding it. I still feel that way, by the way. I would rather eat a corn dog any day of the week. Over you're like, being hungry. You know what's worse than that? Is not eating. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm with you. Well, that is true. I yeah. do agree with that. Yeah. But here's the thing. I, I actually... Have you ever your diet at all? I, today, I, I, am, I eat a lot more greens. Okay. Uh, I stay away from too many carbs. Um, I gain weight like crazy these days. I am like 245. I was 220 for 10 You're years. You're not proud life. of it. You're not proud of teaching. I don't care, to be honest. Like, I'm 245, but I don't look fat. If so you wrestled a small bear, do you think you could win? A small bear? Yeah, not a big one. Actually, that's 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 my going out plan. You know, when you go to Dagestan, you should get, get catch up with a bear. They have bears yeah, there. Yeah, go war with it. You ever see that movie Legends of the Fall with Brad Pitt? He doesn't he he go, die. At the he end goes out. Yeah, he die at the end fighting the bear. He dies, but like, what a way to go out, huh? Yeah, what a way. If you have to choose how to go out, how would you go out? I'd, I'd be doing. You know, you I didn't see the ending of that. Do they leave it to the imagination that he could die? Just leave it open. Yeah. Okay. But where were we? We're talking about food. Yeah, so I eat a lot healthier these days, Frank. Like I, I eat a lot more salad than I used to because I'm, I'm training less than I used to. I eat less, but I'm gaining weight. So you so don't want to be pudgy. You've never been. I've never seen you pudgy. But you don't, pudgy, but you, you don't, we don't want to be pudgy. You, you want to look good. You I, want to feel good. I like feeling good. I don't care about the way I look so much. So to me, it's, it's, it's important, but it's more at the yeah. – it's not at the, the top level list. But would you, you know? be okay with being, being a little pudgy? Yeah, I mean, no, nah, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I don't. I think abs are overrated, but I I like I to uh, I, I I like to eat, but I, I I'm, I'm more careful about what I eat. Now these your days. mom has got a beautiful Italian name. A lot of people don't know you got the half Italian thing. Yeah. Did you grow up eating great Italian food? Yes, a lot of Italian. So food. mom mom is Brazilian, but but she made Italian. A lot of uh, Brazilians eat a lot of Italian food. Like okay. It's very it's part of Brazilian diet to the point where Brazilians don't even think pasta is Italian. They think it's Brazilian, but. Yeah, man. Like I, I think I, I'm a believer in the diet. Don't don't get me wrong, Frank. I just think that when you're young, it matters less. Do you? What do you think of the organic tank nickname, honestly? I think it's a great nickname. Do you think it's <laughs> fitting? Do you think I deserve that nickname? Not just the fake funny. You <laughs> no, think no, I you earned it. That you earned it. You earned it. <laughs> we have some good nicknames at the gym. The organic tank. And Brazil then, has great nicknames. Brazilians are great. Organico tank tank Torquinho or yeah, something. Yeah, like no one no one in Brazil is called by their name. Yeah. If, if someone refers to you in Brazil by your name, they don't like you. Yeah. It's just that simple. You know, if you have a nickname in Brazil, it could be tearing you apart. Like, if you're making fun of a birth defect. That's how Brazilians <laughs> are. They're brutal. They don't care. Yeah, they're city Baltimore's too. There's no such thing as political correctness in Brazil. Like, they just, yeah. okay, you got a birth defect, we're making fun of you. 
You know, you, your girlfriend cheated on you. We're making fun of you. And there's no like, oh, sorry, come over here. Here's a, here's a shoulder for you to cry on. I'm like, oh, ha, 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 idiot. Yeah. They're looking <laughs> for something to do today. As but, soon as you tell them something bad happened, oh, they're, oh, there's no, nothing to do today. We can just talk they're about this. But, they, but they, they're very creative when it comes to the nicknames. What, are your, what nicknames did you have? Oh, I had a few. Uh, probably the most common ones was Cabezón, which means big head. <laughs> and then uh, the other one was Kumbuka. Kumbuka is like a bowl you would eat fruit out of, and I have a, there's a name for it, I don't, I can't, Hectorus something, I can't remember what it is, I've had it my whole life, I have that dent on my chest, so it looks like a that's bowl, right, that's right, and yeah. they make fun of me saying, like I crater, eat, yeah. I eat, yeah, I eat cereal out of my chest, so I lay in bed and I pour cereal there, and yeah. that's how I eat my cereal every morning, so, yeah, they, they, they're brutal about it, man, which I, I think is actually kind of healthy, I don't, I'm not, I'm not against being teased, I think it's part of life is make people making fun of you, making yeah. people making fun of them, and once you put it like that, it's kind of like you're immune to a lot of... The reason I feel like I'm immune to bullying in this lot of ways is because I got bullied so much. You know, so to me, it's like, well, it was what, Is there a lot of bullying in Brazil? Oh, my God. Think about... Dude, you don't know anyone got bullied more than me. <laughs> you don't know anyone. I was, I was the American kid in Brazil. I'm white, skin, light eyes, Robert Drysdale. That stands out. I had all the cool toys. I had shoes that no one had in Brazil. You know, so I we I wasn't rich in Brazil, but I was better off than most. I grew up in a very poor neighborhood. I grew up in the ghetto, but in a nice house in the ghetto. We had a nice house in the ghetto, so I stood out in a lot of ways. I went to public schools in Brazil, so there I never went to private schools in Brazil. So yeah, yeah, there was a lot of that. You got picked on a lot, but I am thankful for every ounce of that. Like I wouldn't change a thing. Like it traumatized me, but it made me better. Like it was a trampoline. Like I, no, no. There's I think it's. Yeah, don't call the principal. You know, get in the fight, you lose. It's okay. It's okay. But but over there in Brazil, I guess is it is it? I know that there's guns and there's gun violence and there's robberies and ATM, you know, kidnappings, whatever. But is there still the old ethic of let these two guys fight in the street and then when they're done they shake hands and they're friends? Is, is that Less there or, that, or that's not there? You know what's funny? That was there in your generation. You know, you know what's was, funny? was that there when in your generation? When we general? were kids, I think kids have so much more honor than adults in that regard. When we were kids and you fought. No one got involved. It was the biggest embarrassment if your friends or your girlfriend jumped in to help you. Yeah. Like, that was like so, I was like, I'd rather lose. Let me lose with honor. Yeah. It was honor, man. Like, it was just us. It was a big circle, and you would fight. And eventually, one of us would quit. Some of the people would break up the fight. And then you shook hands with your friend, maybe. No, it depends on how it ends. If we're yeah. both exhausted, this is what happens. When people exhaust themselves fighting, they respect each other. If you stop it too soon, then they continue to hate each other, which was my theory is in some situations, as long as no one's getting killed, let them fight it out, you know, and then it stops. They become friends after that. I've seen that happen yeah, many it, times. It's amazing that the, the therapy uh, respect. Fight, yeah, it's amazing. And that fighting like, does have that power. Agree. It does let's have that agree. power. Let's agree. And that's why a lawsuit society is so, where you have a society that's so litigious, yeah. it doesn't give people a chance to, uh, you know, like, like this sort of thing where they will hate, and you just let them sue each other away, they will yeah. hate each other for, the Hatfields and yeah. McCoys will hate each other for 10 you know, years. You, know, and we you let them fight, it's yeah. over in five minutes, and uh, most of the time, most of the time, it's like, okay, well, well I don't want to do that again, you know okay. What? Exactly, there's an agreement that it sucks, and yeah. we're dirty, and we're embarrassing ourselves, and we're yeah. both bleeding now, and that was hard. Yeah. How about like this? I respect you, man. That was a good yeah. one. So in some and you feel bonded, because like, yeah. this is the thing with, the thing with, that I talk about with fighting is, it's a very intimate sport. I mean, you can feel. I can. The moment we collide, I can feel a lot of things. I can feel if you're angry. I can feel if you're tense. I can feel if you're stiff. You can feel yeah. a lot of things. Yeah, and, and, and 
And and so in that way, there's also a release. There's an expression. There's a release. Yeah. When people sue, they never get the release, and they keep chasing the release. They keep chasing yeah, the, yeah. the conclusion, which I, which keeps you, which fighting gives you the fighting give, brings you to the conclusion pretty quickly. Which brings us back to the topic of you know earlier that you know the power of jujitsu. Jujitsu is a release of voice. Like I I go to war with my students. You know, for years I was never challenged in my gym, Frank. You know this. Like no one challenged me. I'm not saying this to brag. It's true. I, you know, I train with anyone. I tap them like at least six, seven times in ten minutes, and that was the norm with everyone I trained with. But as I got older, as I, you know, I trained less than I used to. I trained maybe five and times injuries, a week now. So injuries. My body hurts, man. My hands hurt. Every time I grab a kimono, it hurts. My shoes are caught up. They're older and they're better now. They're training twice a day, whatever. But the, uh, um, fuck, I was wrong with that. Making a point. Well, we're talking about, we're I thought they were my least. We're people fighting yeah, and, and, it out as and, opposed and, to yeah, suing and, each other to smithereens. Yeah, they, they, there's a, um, like there's a combativeness to what we do, and it's it's almost like while we're going, it's war, man. Like I'm trying to beat you, but it stops right there. Right? That, the has, second that has to be the ventilated for the ends. body. Yeah, that has to it be. Is. It has to be released. It is. That aggression is released. Yes. And the second stay. the round ends, yes. the clock beeps. We hug each other. We start joking around. We can go, you know, out for yes. dinner. And the fact that you have a bloody lip because of me, or that I just popped your elbow, or that now you can't walk on your knee because of me, does not interfere with our friendship at all. You totally <laughs> forgive me. It's true. I totally forgive you for blowing my knee because I know it was an accident. I love you, bro. I hope that you forgive me next time I do it to you because it probably will happen at some point. And that's brotherly love right there, man. It's a beautiful thing. That's yeah. one of my favorite things. About that's the thing with, with a lawsuit society. We are denying the people the chance to express everything that's built up in them, the anger, the whatever. Yeah. And when we let them express, I'm not saying that by any means that we need to just let. But I there, agree. there yeah, are yeah. there are situations. You have to say that. No, yeah. there there are situations where there are somewhat fair fights. You know, meaning that two people are capable or they're of equal ability, right? Yeah. And and if there's a third party there who could. Hey, you know, it gets out of hand on John McCarthy. You're the neighbor. You're going to be the John you know, McCarthy to your neighbors, right? You just remember one of my favorite stories. Uh, my grandmother is one of my, you know, one of my heroes. And my mother, on my mother's side, she was, I was very close to her, right? And she, had, she was very skeptical and very cynical about the world. And I remember watching TV with her, and the Gulf War was going on. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. was about to attack Iraq. And this is like, what, 93, whatever. And we're going, we're going back and forth on... Um, you know, we, we thought both of us agreed that war was a horrible thing, and her solution to the problem was to put Saddam Hussein and George Bush in a boxing ring. That's what we should do. And of course, it's kind of like cartoonish, but I think it's like, yeah, that is a better solution when you think about it. Oh, you want to, you, you, you really hate each other? Like, well, why, don't, why put everyone else in line? Like, why don't you guys figure it out in the cage? Next time we have a war, maybe we should consider putting our leaders in a cage oh, and, and let them battle it out. You might be beating up everybody then. Yeah, he's a black belt. And, you know, I, and that, and that and blind judo black belt, he might be... Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, Putin will probably win that Yeah, tournament. Putin might be... I'm trying, I to, think think of, I'm trying to think of a world leader... I don't think Trump would might, might That might beat... Uh, that might be... Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a cartoonish solution, but, like, you know, obviously, they're rather... But, yeah, like, you want, you know, it's... It, 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 no, it, it, it goes back to sort of a, even a Henzo Gracie yeah. kind of thing where, again, there are people that are always going to push the line, but there is a time. It's unfortunate. And I saw it back in Baltimore um, where people love those nicknames things, by the way, but, but uh, they used to call fighting a fair fight head up. They would say, so two guys would be 
mouthing off, whatever, a bunch of people would gather around, and then you would hear one of the guys getting ready to fight say, head up, head up, head up meant to everybody else, nobody jumps in this. Him and I are going to settle this like men, and we're going to fight, you know. Sometimes people didn't yell head up, you could see people, somebody get jumped, whatever. But when people start saying head up, head up, it was like, all right, this is a fair fight. All you guys just sit back and watch. And then it was like, they, you know, maybe one guy did get the better, but whatever. But normally, those were actually usually competitive fights, right? It was guys, two yeah, guys that I, really... Because if, if it's not going to be competitive, normally people, somebody else will break yeah. it up. Or, or somebody will back down. Somebody will back down. Like, no, really I, I don't... I mean, I hope that doesn't sound like we're advocating violence. I, I abhor violence. I think it's... What I'm saying is that there is... Like, you, you, you were talking about an outlet, right, of... Something that I'm saying it's inevitable that some people though might really want. We're talking about two. If we're talking about two consensual, I hate the bullying, but if we're talking about two consensual, me and another 15 year old who really feel like we need to work it out in the same way that yeah, people no, might I, work I, it out I, in a training environment, might be a tournament. Then I just think that sometimes that may be a better solution than the 15-year-olds hating each other forever and ever and ever and doing mischievous stuff and doing mischievous stuff to each other's houses and properties and whatever and talking to each other and saying terrible things. It may be better to have them, the lesser of evils, to have them fight a fairly a fair fight for five minutes. It's done. And then they're friends versus hating each other for yeah. life and doing everything they can. Stop. It yeah, doesn't it stop. Does it. It doesn't stop. Like you, sometimes the best thing for you to do is, because uh, that's happened to me. Like you exhaust yourself fighting, and you're like, "I mean, this sucks. I don't want to do this again." And you look over at him, and he's kind of thinking the same thing. You kind of read his mind. You're like, "All right, man, let's sign an agreement. Like we should probably shouldn't do this again, you know." And you, it's better than going home with that resentment, that build up, you know, anger. It's it's a complicated topic, man. I I think that no, and, and I, I, I I'm always the guy who stops fights. By the yeah. way, I'm never the guy who does. Like I, I sometimes I probably let should them battle it, but I, my first instinct is to always stop it. Well, and the, to avoid the, it. the thing that's like, interesting is that this is I'm talking about. We're talking. Remember, we're talking about a time like Baltimore where nobody was training really the martial arts or jujitsu, whatever. Like if a jujitsu kid, if a student of mine or a student of yours came to you and was like. I got into a fight, whatever. Nobody would celebrate that. Like you wouldn't celebrate. You'd feel like, man, like why is my kid, yeah. why is this student of mine getting in this fight or these fights? That would suck. It really would suck. Or your kid, your own kid. If your kid was a blue belt or a purple belt, and your kid's like, I got in a fight at school today. You don't, you don't want to hear that. You don't want to celebrate that necessarily, yeah. right? But we're talking about environments a lot of times where these are not trained fighters. They're not trained to combat sports where we learn like to avert things and to avoid, and we have other techniques to diffuse things, or, they we're just talking about people that have no training, they're not yeah. martial artists, they're just, yeah. they're just regular people, and yeah. sometimes the solution for them, like us, the last thing I want, I don't want any problem, I don't have the energy, I mean, I just trained today, the last thing I want to do, funny, you because I've already out. gotten my, I, because I've, I've, I've already gotten it out, I've gotten my release, I, got no I don't need, to, I don't need you know, to, what, one to, reason, I don't even like to go out, because, like I, 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 I'd hate to get into a fight and get in trouble. I get in charge of the white weapon. You get in charge of the, yeah. as a knife, you know, because you're a black belt, yeah. or you know, yeah. professional fighting record, or whatever. Um, but like when I, I weekends, the last thing I want to do, man, is get into a fight. Yeah. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. This is why with people that are like costly picking fights in Brazil, that was a very common thing in my generation. Like, dude, you must not train. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That was my first thought process. Like, where are you training? Because it must not be very hard. Because on a Saturday night, I am beat. I don't even want to get out of the house. I'm so tired. Like, do you think I want to get into a fight? Get get dressed up? 
go out, spend money, and then come back home like all scratched and with my clothes all ripped and didn't trouble with the police for what? Yeah. No way, man. Those people aren't training. You know, if you're a serious athlete, you're not you're not fighting unless you absolutely have to. And there are some situations where I, I think that is, is yeah, I think justified. You carry, I think you carry yourself differently. I think you have a confidence about you um, and you're able to avert things. So when I talk about those things, I'm talking about those of us that didn't, that didn't have the enlightenment of the martial arts experience or the jiu-jitsu experience. Yeah. Um, but uh, final, coming down the stretch here, you didn't answer my question entirely. You mentioned, I asked you, who your favorite grapplers are out there. You oh, mentioned yeah, Bruno, right. yeah. but there's others. Uh, okay. I love I love Lepre. I love Luke. I love Lepre. Very well, all, all around. Well rounded. You know my Lepre. favorite thing about him though, and this is the thing I admire the most in fighters these days. He's a humble guy. He's won everything there is to win. Yet you don't see him bragging about any of it. Keeps his head down. And to me, and that his profile's nowhere near as big as it should be. His profile should well, be a lot. Bigger. But is he? But like the guy, a guy like that, to me, is, is so. It, it is so commendable that he would just continue to keep the focus where it's important, at least where I see it to be mm-hmm. important. And I don't know. To me, that's the number one trait of a champion: is humility. It's not medals. It's humility. GSP is the ultimate. You know why? Because he won everything there is to win. You know, and he kept a very humble. Have you met profile. him? Yeah, a few times. Like he, he's a he's a role model. He is someone I would tell my students to emulate. Success yeah. plus humility. The gentleman never offended anyone. Never had to throw a water bottle to sell a fight. I think his charisma and his skills sold his sold his fights. Granted, he never sold as much as Connor, but I would not put him on the same you know the same level as fighters. Like not even close, in fact. You know, but as far as accomplishment goes, but. Well, GSP yeah. did line him up a lot longer. He lined him up. Even if he had been less successful, I would still admire that more than the alternative. Uh, in jiu-jitsu, I like Tenkin. I've always liked Augusto Tenkin for the same reason I like Lev. I think he's very complete, very well-rounded, and very humble at the same time. There are more men. Like, I, I always like Brawley when I commented with the Mississippi, but I've always really liked his game. He's, very, he's a very articulate guy for his size. I think Roger... Maybe not pound for pound, but overall, Roger's the greatest grappler of all time, of all grappling. Like, there's no one that's, I really think so. You know, Wuxisha's incredible, Lowe's incredible. I, I admire a lot of people, man. Like, I can go on forever. I, by the way, I love, Rafael Mendes is one of my favorite grapplers of yeah. all time. What I, would, what I meant by what I said earlier was, yeah, love, I'm not a huge game. fan of I the, I can only sit to my butt to fly jiu-jitsu. Like, yeah. I mean, I would, he probably could take 99% of people down the division anyway. He just chooses not to because it's his strong suit. But I, I like a complete style of jiu-jitsu. I think jiu-jitsu at the end of the day is still a martial art. It's still a martial art, and we have to remember that. Right? So the takedowns are part of jiu-jitsu, despite the fact that you may not like them. You know, but jiu-jitsu is not about aesthetics and personal preferences. It's about efficiency. The way I see it. People are free to disagree. Um, who else? I've always liked Leo. Of course, Leo Vieira has always been one of my favorites. Um, who else? A lot of the guys out there. Like, um, oh, I'll give you another one. Hinato Kanuto. Despite our differences, I think most, probably the most beautiful jiu-jitsu I've ever seen. It's outstanding. Like, it's beautiful to watch. I've always been a fan of his, but, um, you know, who else? Do you think, though, I mean, and again, I know that there's, you know, but do you think, because th- this is an interesting thing, we should, so it's, it's hard to be in your spot because you've given 60, 70 black belts, and you know the hardest thing about what you do and building the team you've, you've had, you know, you've, you've coached thousands of people over the years, You've shared, you know, you don't withhold. I, I've never known you. You, 
you know, the, in fact, the first time I met you, we were at someone else's gym and you, you were on the sidelines and you were showing me an arm bar that I'd never seen. And I was not your student. You were not trying to cherry pick me, you know, and, and uh, you, you've always been very, you've always shown everything, even at a time when there might have been some secrets, right? Where before YouTube, where it was like, you could keep some secrets. You've always been the kind of guy who was open, you trained with everybody, you've always showed everybody the deck. And, and yet, when you're an instructor, people do come and they go. Sometimes they're maybe not as grateful. There are disagreements. People set up rival gyms. How do you... How do you make peace with that? Because that's an inevitable part of this business when you're when you're I, in the position you're in. I think that <clears throat> to be emotionally attached to what you have dedicated your life towards is is normal. It's natural. I wouldn't be human if I didn't care about my life's work. Yeah. So there's an attachment, of course. But on the other hand, there's a deeper value to you know even having these conflicts. Is you learn a lot, and that's what I'm after. Is the experience overall. And every time you learn, you get a little bit better. It's kind of like getting tapped. I got tapped. What follows that? You learn a lesson. You're hard to get tapped next time, and maybe you don't get tapped in the future. So I'm actually happy about these experiences. And always, in the end, it always works out for the better. Uh, yeah, you man, are, I, you, I, one thing I'll say about you, though, Robin, I, I see this. You know, we've all, all of us in life have had, you know, people we love, they come, they go, sometimes we disagree with people we love. One thing I would say about you, you are a very forgiving guy, though. You are, you are extremely... I think that's a quality about you that I admire. Um, I have the same quality, but but I actually, and I'm not, that doesn't mean there's not a fire there. But yeah. you you are a very forgiving guy, and you're and you're very reasonable in forgiveness. Meaning that if you and someone I've seen you have a disagreement, as time goes by, if that person you know comes to you whatever, and you guys talk it out, it can be talked out. You're not a guy that's like that. No, I don't. I don't. Thing. I don't hold. I really don't have enemies, man. I have like maybe one enemy. My my whole. I don't. I don't. Yeah. I don't have enemies in that sense. Um, I mean, there's a part of me that wish I were less like that. I were more vindictive. I don't have I don't have that element in me. Like, I, don't get, I wish I did though. Which like, is good. I think I have some, you know what? You might be. You know, Nietzsche said, like, to be vindictive is to be human. Like he, like it's part of your nature to be vindictive, and you shouldn't you shouldn't neglect it. Like that is part of who you are. I, I guess I'm lacking that software. Like I just, I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm lacking that. Like I don't have that. I get angry for a minute and then I'm. I think that that's why you're not a criminal. That's why you're a law-abiding, successful, smart guy. Maybe, maybe, but at the same time, man, like I take, I take people who are maybe perceived as enemies or competition in some way as teachers. They teach me more about myself in life than, you know, I teach myself or a book does. You know, you learn so so much from books. And that's an important, you know, field of knowledge. But there, uh, there are things you learn about dealing with people that you don't learn in books, and you have to go through these experiences. So the way I look at it is, is always, a, it's always a lesson. I always try to take the lesson. That's how I always look at jujitsu. Get tapped, you know, do something not to get tapped in the future. So I, I try not to run from these situations. Like if I, if there's something that, if there's a clash there, like okay, where is the lesson to be? Where, where can I learn a lesson from this? And, that's how I try to live. But I, yeah, you're right. I don't hold grudges. Like I don't. You know, it's too heavy, man. I, I see people who do. Mm-hmm. It's a heavy existence, I imagine, because the times I did hold grudges, it was fucking way more painful on me than it was on the person. I guarantee you that. I imagine, like you know, I, I I don't know what it's like to be to hate someone. I don't hate anyone, but I imagine it'd be difficult. Like that, per you, you you're the one who suffers. Like you're the one who's for no reason. I think suffering has a purpose in life if it makes you better. Like you get tapped, you go home angry, you're suffering because you got tapped. But 
if you're just hating on someone just because I don't know, like I don't see the problem. It's not going to go anywhere. It's not going to go anywhere. Just pain. Yeah, right? I mean, for no pain, it has to have a purpose. If there's yeah, no purpose, you're carrying it, something that has it's no, just no mas- extra strategy. It's masochism. That's yeah. that's what I would call it. So yeah. I, yeah, man, like I don't, I don't hold, I don't get, yeah, not really. What do you think about what it? What is your thought on dating women, dating in jiu-jitsu? Because we see some. <laughs> wait, wait, <laughs> we I see, can go on forever. Wait, wait, <laughs> this is a, this <laughs> a whole other podcast. Because <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, yeah. you know, you have people out there yeah. that, you know, I see there's people having weddings. They're having weddings, like, in their kimonos. Right? Yeah, it's and there's people like, yeah. hey, husband hey. and wife, we're going to see more. Whatever we, makes we are, you happy. We are going to see more of the husband-wife thing in jiu-jitsu because there's more people training. There's I, way more women I training now. Chris Angle, Mylene Ramos, great about it. Yeah. You know what's funny? Like, the reason why Frank is laughing is people listening may not know this, but I've been married twice to you know jiu-jitsu black belts. I think and Robert may have the world record for <laughs> most marriages to a jiu-jitsu black belt. I might have that. Who record, else has man. that? Uh, at least a tie. Well, I, I don't. I don't know anymore. There aren't that many female black. Nobody else. No, there's very few. Two female black. Yeah, just me. I'm a. I'm a, I'm a groupie. You have the world record. <laughs> we should call. We should. We could like legit like that should be a world record. <laughs> Yeah, man. I I don't recommend. But if it one of them marries another black belt, then they tie. I'll, I'll tell you this, man. Um, it's difficult because I think that in relationships you need your space, you need your personal space, uh, and that you know if you're working with someone, you live with someone, and you're training with someone, you teach with someone, you travel to get to tournaments, it it can get suffocating. Like no matter how much you love that person, it can get suffocating. And I, I in general general terms, I don't recommend it. Um, but hey, for some people, you know, maybe it works for them. It works for them. But I, I choose to look for, if I, you know, uh, I look for women that are outside that circle, to be honest. So Which now at I, this point in your life, you talk about learning yeah. lessons. I'll, I'll give you an example. My, 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 my ex-girlfriend, we, she didn't train jiu-jitsu, which was perfect. And she started training. She got a blue belt. We broke up the next week or something. <laughs> like it was, it's almost like it's not meant to be. So to me, it's like, okay, stay. So in general, stay you, prefer away a woman, from, you prefer a woman if, that's if not trained. I think so. In fact, the less she knows about fighting, the better. Yeah. You know, I, uh, I, I, think, I see I that a lot. A lot, I, a lot of the pro may, athletes may, that I've not, seen marry, I don't know. I'm not, a lot of the pro athletes that I've seen marry, they usually marry, uh, they don't marry the, the groupies or whatever. Yeah, they marry the yeah. women that don't care that you're whoever you're not. Yeah. They're not as impressed, right? They're. Yeah. It's a tough. I'm not saying, you know, it would never work for me or for other people. Like, I, everyone's different because it's complicated. Do but, you think that you could go and marry another. Female jiu-jitsu black belt. You think it is? Highly, highly, highly unlikely. Purple belt, blue belt. Highly, highly, highly unlikely. I don't. It's, <laughs> it's, I stay away. It's go. almost like I look at them like I look at a dude now. Like I'll high five you and everything, but that's where it stops. <laughs> like I kind of look at that. Like you're just a training partner, student. That's the other thing. I don't date students. Don't date students. No, I know. I know you don't. Do yeah, that. but um, I just I'm more and selective we all about that, that's a no go. Who is uh, who is? Uh, well, you do have this when the students choose to date the other students, you know. Um, um, and that's what I'm, I'm talking about. That situation, you have students. Yeah, no, like, no, for sure. Man. But then, like, then they, I, they, I, I think it's beautiful. Be, I've seen it. I've they could be work. disrupting their sanctuary because yeah. if they're it is, they're dating. it is. They do. It's it gets to the point where there's if you don't have a life outside that relationship, that could be bad. If the whole relationship is based off of you or little jujitsu environment, I think it can be very toxic. And that's my experience. I think that a guy should every now and then, like I hate football, but mm-hmm. if you want to go watch football with your friends and drink a beer, and if you're, you and your girlfriends want to go shopping on a weekend or watch a movie, whatever, I think that sort of space is important, and that's just some balance in the relationship. And I think sometimes when you're a jiu-jitsu partner, 
there's no there's no balance. It's just a hundred percent gym home, you know, tournament gym home tournament. Like I I think that can be very toxic. All your friends do jujitsu. I try, I'm, like, I'm also constantly trying to meet people that don't do jiu You know, there, 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 there was a Seinfeld. I, don't know, you're, 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 I think you're about the age where you still were yeah. able to watch Seinfeld, right? You knew. Uh, I know the show, but I've never yeah, seen it. Yeah, they have an episode in there where, uh, for those listening who are millennials who don't know who Jerry Seinfeld is or the Seinfeld show, the great American comedy sitcom, uh, Jerry Seinfeld has like a girlfriend and he doesn't want her to meet certain friends because he doesn't want to corrupt that world. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I totally get that. You know, <laughs> I like, totally did not like, corrupt that world. world. Because again, if that thing could end, it's like, man, now yeah, that person... It's good the way it is. And yeah. Yeah. Uh, she's she's going best. to the same, pla- same place as you get your haircut. She's going to the same this and now your life will never be the same. You have to... If you ever... If you ever break up, you have to totally change like everything. You you don't have your own world anymore. You, 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 where are you going to go and hide? You, you yeah. want you want to recover from it, but you know, oh, she goes gets her haircut there. Oh, she shops. No, no, oh, my gotta, favorite restaurants. Oh, she, some space, man. she gotta, goes to the same restaurant. Here's the thing: like you, you need. Oh, we have the same. You, you need. You need to have a life, and your partner needs to have a life. And if you don't have a life outside of your own relationship, that's I think that's really toxic. And if you're immersed in the jiu-jitsu world, I think that adds to the toxicity. Yeah, like basically, my advice, and I'm no, you know, two divorces. Don't fucking listen to me, but um, find someone with a life. I think that's that is um, yeah. I think that's big. And have your own life above all. Have a life. Find someone with a life. And I think ideally remove from your own circle. That would be my advice. Yeah. Well, that's good advice, ladies and gentlemen. But again, again, <laughs> I'm no expert, man. Like so. Well, yeah, you could be worse for you. Look, worse my for you. my favorite <laughs> my favorite knowledge these days, the favorite knowledge which I call inverted knowledge or inverted learning, is what not to do. I think I just think so much of what we learn is like yeah, what's not what to do. It's what the fuck not to do. Excuse my language, but no, what not to that do. That makes sense. And so you can be an expert as far as the women in marriage goes on yeah, what yeah, not you know yeah, and what not to do. Yeah, I don't know what works. I'll tell you what doesn't. Yeah, <laughs> what you definitely don't want to do. Um, all right, well, Robert Drysdale, Frank Carreri Forza, we're here in Las Vegas, staying cool. And um, Robert, where can people reach you if they want to? It's always, it's always a pleasure. Where can people reach you if they want to have uh, feedback, your Instagram handle, Facebook, wherever, and your email? Um, yeah, well, Instagram. Robert Drysdale, JJ. What about an email? You don't like people. You don't like them getting too close with an email. I, I, it's been, I mean, it's, I've been blown up before, man. So you've I'm had like, too many emails come in. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, like I mean, I don't like the hate, the hate mail. I've gotten hate mail before, and it's just like just take my time because I want to tear them apart, and then yeah. I can't do that in less than thirty minutes. Takes too much. And time. I'm giving you thirty. I'm giving a troll thirty minutes of my life. Are you kidding? Yeah. It's kind of fun to beat them up. I had a good story. I had one guy a while ago message me on Facebook and he was trying to like act like I didn't know anything about history of jiu-jitsu, which like, okay, maybe I'm wrong about something. Can you please correct me? And I did this in a most a very, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic or anything. Please correct me. And the guy insisted that he didn't, you know, he didn't have any sources to correct me. He just felt that way. And it was basically saying, that, well, where would you get that from? He's like, oh, my, my work experience. So what did you do? I'm in business. What was that? The history of jiu-jitsu. And I started like, why? But anyway, we, I got into this long discussion with him, but it got to the point where it was just kind of absurd that I was giving him my time. He just he was just literally abusing my time. So, I don't know. I, I don't know. Okay, so there it goes. DrysoBJJ at Gmail. Just, you know. If it's constructive and you got a point, yeah, bring it on. But if you're just going to 
if you just try to take my time, then I'll probably... What's interesting is it's sort of the, the car. You know, when you drive in a car, people will do things in the car, acts of rudeness that they would never do the, the if they were yeah. walking oh, yeah. on foot next to yeah. someone. It's the same thing with, with the I, virtual, I virtual world. People... People say things that they would never ever think to you, say I'll to you, you one, in real life. You want a great TV show? And for some reason, because it's just on a computer through that medium, yeah. they think it's totally appropriate to eviscerate or just be keyboard warrior. Unbelievable. And very few people. I mean, how many people in the course of your day, in the course of I your day, you're out like there that. would dare and say one tenth of that? Not, not even. Not even. Not me. Um, yeah. I think we want a great TV show idea. So you, you trace down the keyboard warrior that's talking shit about Khabib or whatever, and you fly Khabib to his doorstep, and the guy knocks on his door, and the cam's right behind him just to film the reaction, like, oh, you're talking smack about Khabib, there you go. Troll wish. Exactly, you get to roll they with it. something. Congratulations, you get an hour in the roll cage with, with the, Rolling with trollers. <laughs> ro- rolling with trollers. Oh, I, would, I would pay, I could put that on pay-per-view. Troll Daily, wars. and I'd pay for it. That's true. I'd be the number one fan of that show, man. But, yeah. No, seriously, like I people contact me all the time. I always respond. You could be like Tim, yeah. twenty six, lives in his basement. Khabib, yeah. twenty seven, UFC champion. Um, yeah, man, it's I don't mind I, if it's constructive criticism. It's good if it's just personal attacks. Then please, please. I think what people have to understand though, the, the final thing is that a lot of people like most of mo- a lot of us are just trying to do the best we can, right? I'm not perfect. You're not perfect. We're just talking about our journey, our thoughts today, and we reserve the right to change. Our minds can be changed. My mind is open to change. Your mind is open to change and grow. I'm not saying I have all the answers. I'm just saying this is what this is the best that I think sincerely today. This is how I see it. I'm going to hear someone else. I'm not saying, and you're not, and this is what I like about you too, I am not going out there saying this is the way you have to do it this way. This is the only way you can do it. This is the only. This is absolute truth. I, I'm saying this is my. I'm speaking my truth today. The best that I've made sense of things. Yeah. The best I've figured out is today. Yeah. Or we're talking yeah. about something that maybe I haven't figured out. But for so when people get so upset. It's like, bro, you need to get as upset as somebody who maybe is is thinking that they know it all. Yeah. Or they're, they're, you know, I actually think, what I think is lame, Rob, and this is part of the reason that I'm not a uh, 24-hour journalist anymore. I'm a, I'm a writer, I'm a creative person, but I'm not a journalist. I'm trained as a journalist. Part of the reason I got out of it is because of the difference between spectator and participant. The journalists, in general, are spectators. And it's easy, safe place, like Churchill and all would say. And it's like, people are sitting there so lame with that, and it's like, Go, like stand for something like tell a story uh, tell you know explain your truth try you know sit there mix it up with other people you know debate people whatever other people but so many people are there they want to stay in this safe place and criticize instead of saying hey go go, go get money go get go get money go be the participant and and go fall I, flat I, on your face i don't mind people that disagree with me at all like yeah. i'm not i don't have all the answers, no right to think I do. I could be wrong. I'm I'm looking for people to correct me. In fact, yeah. this is what I can't stand: people who just repeat arguments they heard on television, or they just learn your history on WhatsApp and Facebook. If that's what you're getting your information from, from memes, you shouldn't talk about anything. That's my take on it. If you're going to talk about things, any topic, you have to some degree of authority. You should at least bother to actually look up your sources in a serious manner. Yeah. Versus, I saw a meme; it must be true. And I feel that a lot of people are learning their history even better, and look their up, politics. Or even better, look up your sources combined with critical thinking, which we talked about earlier, which most people don't want to do. I, and, and they're learning economics, they're learning uh, politics, they're learning history on Facebook. That, that's literally what's happening. 
and someone no, I call it regurgitation nation. This is this is an echo. Uh, there, uh, there. I don't recall this. I want to find a society that had more of an echo chamber. They probably are, but, but this is an echo chamber society. Very, very little originality going around. Everything is just look at my fi- at my fingertips. I can find it, so I don't need to figure anything it's out. I don't so need to critically I, think. I was just having this a political discussion with someone the other day, and it's funny because they as soon as you make a point, a case for or something. They automatically assume you belong to that team. So if you're part of this team and you you say A, that means yeah. you must also follow B, C, and D. So you instead of talking about A, you vote, you vote he immediately so. starts talking B, C, and D. Like I wasn't talking about that. Why are you making these assumptions? And they look confused because all of a sudden their cookie cutter arguments don't work anymore. Because I'm actually no, no, I actually agree with you on that one. I just right. disagree with you on A. On B and C, I agree with you. And they look incredibly confused. It's like, well, what I thought you were from that team. I'm like, no, actually, I'm. I, I'm on this team sometimes. Sometimes I'm on that team. I'm on my own team. I, I, got, I don't agree with anything. No, life is, you know? life is messy and, like But like that. people get they get confused yep. because they make all these assumptions based off of one position or two. Man, you know, but I don't know. Like my, my, if you're going to have an opinion on some of these things, to me, just even in jiu-jitsu, man, like look, do your research. Like learn a little bit more about jiu-jitsu. But if you have strong positions on anything, well, I would say my, my new standard is when I look at people, and even people that I disagree with, and some people that I de- disagree with vehemently on some things, and I just think, did that person, you know, f the world up, or did that person really mess? Is that one of the people that's really messing the world up? And usually, I'm like, no, they're not. Like that's not. Does the if the world, whatever sucks about the world, does it suck because of Robert Drysdale? Does it suck because of even me, with me yeah. sitting here, who may not like my tone or they don't like something, but it's like, does does the world suck because of, no? I'll be honest with you. You're going to have to bark up other trees. Like You may say you don't like the podcast. You don't like my opinions. But did I mess up the world? I really didn't. Yeah. So, so you, your, your time is better spent somewhere else on the people that you think are actually when messing I up the world. When I see injustices, like for example, the fact that Gabriel Moraes is not remembered, that's an injustice. Yep. Right? It's an injustice. What I tell myself, there are greater injustices in the world right now. And I'm not doing anything about those. I mean, I shouldn't be too worried about you know, Gabriel Moraes of the world. But that's my point is, you know... There's a lot of horrible things being done in the world, and the, the, if, if there's going to be any militancy, it should be in that direction and not care about the pettiness of... Yeah, so if you're a keyboard you know, warrior and you're listening, I think you, should, not you should start a... They stopped at the minute five, Frank. Keyboard they, warriors, <laughs> I have an idea. Go and uh, and start a, a fan page for Gabe Moraes. That's, yeah. that's, that's a starting point for you. You can you know, yeah. get busy on that yeah. one. Yeah. The better, the better. Gabe Moraes. Yeah. Um, Robert... It's a pleasure. It's my pleasure, Frank. Anytime. Uh, let's do this again soon. I know you got some big things coming you can't talk about, but uh, hopefully we'll, we'll be doing a lot more podcasts with the one and the only Robert Drysdale. Frank Carreri-Forza, Las Vegas, Nevada. We're signing off. Thank you so much, everybody.